This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 62, Favorite Daredevil Storylines. Welcome back to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 62. We're talking about our top, uh, not our top anything, our, our favorite Daredevil uh, storylines. I'm here with my regular co-host. Nathan Strack. You can speak up a little bit. I don't know if anyone can hear you that. And I've never been accused of people not being able to hear me. Yeah, but today you're starting at a, you're starting at like a three. Usually you start at like an eight. Well, it's uh, a little more subdued day. It's a somber day. It's St. Patrick's Day. Oh, because that's such a somber day. <laughs> I, my, my wife's cousin uh, knows you as the intense one. She's like, you know, because we were trying to say that, you know, I was going to hang out with you. And I'm like, yeah, you know, he was at my party. And she's like, oh, which one was he? Was he the really intense one with, hands, the, with the hands? hands. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's Nate. He's the intense one. So welcome back to the show. Uh, as I said, we're talking about our, our favorite Daredevil storylines uh, today. Now, for myself, Daredevil is probably one of my top three of uh, my Marvel heroes. Um, I just love the character. I love a lot of the stories. There have been a lot of really bad stories with the character, but... Um, I, I, would you be comfortable to say that it's been mostly bad? No, not at all. I think that's unfair. I'd say for the course of his career, I'd say that all characters have mostly bad, but he has mostly more bad. No. Like, even if you look at X-Men, most of the stories are bad. Really? Well, I mean, there's that theory that 10% of everything is crap. No, sorry. Um, 80% of everything is crap. Okay. And so there's the 20% that's golden. Okay. Well, if we, if we ran on that number, and there's been, let's say, 540 Daredevil issues, then 10% of that would be 54. So you're saying there's only 108 good Daredevil issues? That's 20%? I'd say that's even stretching it, but sure. Really? Wow. Yeah, I mean... I'd say there's more than it's that. It's just a rule of thumb for almost everything, you know? Because, I mean, Bendis and, and, and Brubaker alone combined for a healthy sum of issues. Like, let's take a sacred cow. Let's okay. take Tolkien. Tolkien? Okay. A lot of what he wrote wasn't really that good. I haven't read a lot of it, so I couldn't really speak to you it. You have some people who swear up and down that everything he's done is perfect, but then you have some people go, like, you know what... Silmarillion, not really worth reading. It's not really that well well written. Yeah. Uh, even a lot of things in Lord of the Rings has some amazing nuggets of stories and ideas. But mm-hmm. is it written the best? Is it really that compelling? It's to bring it to my wheelhouse. I, my example would be Asimov. Then sure, he take wrote Asimov. He everything wrote, he wrote amazing stuff, but he also wrote a lot of stuff that just didn't go anywhere. No, that's true. I, mean, well, I think part of that is because he was always challenging himself and writing in different genres. Sure, he wrote like mystery and sci-fi, and, and then Buddy Cop. <laughs> Yeah, in sci-fi. Like, yeah. I mean, he wrote actual pure mystery stories that weren't in sci-fi at all, and then he had sci-fi stories that were mystery and buddy couple in one, and then he had epic tales, and some of them just didn't work, and some of them Stephen were. King? And, yeah. Not everything he writes is great? No. Shakespeare? I don't think everything he did was great. So I'm, I, I just think Daryl's had a lot of good stuff. Yeah? I, okay. I don't... Okay. I, I think he... I mean, it may not be necessarily as iconic in some ways, or... Um, as prolonged these heavy high periods. I think a part of it's because if you look at a character like Spider-Man, you can look at like the first hundred issues are fairly good. Like, really yeah, good and, stuff. And, and there was a reason why he exploded and became what he was because that those hundred issues are... Yeah. Whereas Daredevil didn't have the, the same base to start with. But he's had some amazing stuff throughout his tenure, but he didn't have that, that same... He didn't tap into the zeitgeist in the same way. He wasn't able to latch on right away. He was the... Just he was just a slightly older yeah, version he of was, Spider-Man. He's almost always the also ran. He's always the other guy. He's oh, you know he, what he was. There's a reason why people say Daredevil wasn't anything until Miller took him up and, and did something with him. I'm sure a lot of people would disagree, but I think more people would agree. Uh, I think when you write even like the preludes that introduce you to like a collected trade, they kind of say Daredevil was kind of a forgotten guy. Yeah. He was on the on the sidelines and Mark. Uh, Mark. 
Frank Miller really brought him into the mainstream and did something new with him and made him gave him characters that people cared about. That's that's kind of the consensus. to support your point. Uh, before Frank Miller started doing the artwork, the book was they, they were thinking about canceling it. So it does kind of speak to that, you know, that the book wasn't going anywhere. Kind of like what happened right before Marvel Knights gave it another jump start with Kevin Smith. It was oh, doing really poorly. Before it that. was, yeah, yeah. It's just, well, yeah. I guess you could, well in a very different way, but I mean, X Men had the same problem. I mean, the, it, the original series. The original series was canceled and it was in reprints, and I'm surprised it was even reprinted. And you know what? Those original X Men stories—they're not as good as the stuff that came later with Claremont. So, oh no, they're not. You know what? Even they had legendary guys working on it, like Lee and and, uh, and Kirby. It didn't matter yeah, because and... their voice just they didn't really they didn't really have the same kind of feel for what the material was. And you can no. say the same thing with Daredevil, right? He's a swashbuckler in a yellow suit, and they had a premise. But they didn't have the same sense of purpose and, and real world-building that Frank brought to the, the comic. And there's, I guess there's just a reason why everyone associates him with really creating the character. Yeah. So, jumping into... We, because it's only the two of us doing the episode, we came up with our, our list of kind of our ten favorites. Sure. Um, now, I had a really hard time doing it because I, I'm a huge fan of the character and there's so many Daredevil stories I've enjoyed. So, I have actually... I have way too many honorable mentions to quickly throw out that I'm not mm-hmm. even going to really mention, but I at least wanted to like mention their names, if not why. I'm and I don't have the same background that Adam does. Like I discovered Daredevil with um, technically uh, before Kevin Smith. I, I was introduced to it quickly with the Fall from Grace storyline, which at the time of being like you know 13, 14, I thought was amazing. Uh, in retrospect, it's not very good, but. Um, after that point, I really stayed away from Daredevil. I didn't really get into it. I used to pick up off of the rack an issue, and I was really, you know, I would go into a comic book store. Uh, what brought me in was Marvel versus DC, and the later onslaught. So you can tell this is you know yeah. ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, where I'm starting to collect comics. Uh, and the Daredevils at the time, I'd pick them up and look at them, and they just wouldn't grab me, and I put them right back down on the on the on the shelf there. So I didn't touch it until Marvel Knights rebooted it, and even then. I was at a, a place in Toronto called One Million Comics, and it was issue five of, uh, that, of the Kevin Smith storyline. And I thought, you know what, this cover looks really pretty, and I picked it up. And that is what made me go back and get all of Kevin's really? run. So having said that, I, I, I got Kevin's run, and I just followed Daredevil afterwards and got almost all the issues all the way through to Brubaker's run. and um, So that kind of shows you where I am with, with Daredevil. I'm mostly the modern stuff because of all this stuff that I've read. Um, and everyone, Kevin and Brian and, uh, and Brubaker, they all pointed backwards to, to Frank Miller. And that's what made me investigate Frank Miller stuff. Okay. So for me, I'm kind of mostly just, I read Frank Miller stuff, and I read more of the contemporary stuff. And that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. Now, um, had you read, like, had Daredevil showed up in any of the other books that you'd read up until that point? Extremely rarely. I can't even... Uncanny X-Men, Daredevil, that one issue? Yes, Uncanny X-Men. It was Cecilia Ray's introductory issue. I think so it was like 351 or something. It would be just after 350. And I think 351... Was 351 Madrera's issue where he came in? No, Madrera was done with 350. And to do that Spider-Man's? That was before 350. You're right, 350 where he finished. Because that was 346 or 347. And Ed Bennis, I believe, did the art. Yeah. Which is why everyone looked so sexy. It looked so good. So it probably is 351. So it was Daredevil versus Pyro. Yes, Basically. Pyro comes in with a bullet wound, and Daredevil comes in as well to talk to Sissy. And he has like an injury. He'd he like, recently been shot. Yeah, I think. and he wants her to treat him or something. Something to that. Yeah, me. something about that. It was back when no one knew who he was, and and she and Celia's response, of course, is, "Whoa, you want to come in this window? We're dressed up like a big red devil. Uh, you can take that outside. We're not here looking for a fight, devil man." And he's like, "What are you talking about? I'm Daredevil. You haven't heard of me?" And she's like, "No." 
which is a great commentary on the fact that like not everyone knows it. He's not really a big player in the Marvel universe. Yeah. In Hell's Kitchen, everybody knows exactly. Him. If you're in Hell's Kitchen, yeah. you know Daredevil. He's and if you haven't seen him, he's kind of an urban legend. Uh, but outside of that, like she's heard of Spider Man, but this guy comes and dresses the devil, and she's freaking out. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of just here or there. He Daredevil yeah. is famous for just being very insular, and he's kind of in his own corner, and he didn't get involved in a lot of the big crossovers. And no, uh, that's true. Like he he has a few weird appearances because I remember like when I was younger, when I was starting before I really reached out and found out a lot about Daredevil. I, the first thing I ever read with him was uh, Amazing Spider Man. 396, uh, which I believe was, I can't even remember, I think it was Back from the Edge. And he was involved in a storyline there where basically Spider-Man wanted to kill Peter Parker, the the Parker identity. And this was, uh, Daredevil was wearing his armored costume after uh, Fall from Grace. And that's part of why I, like, I love that costume. I know it's it's not real Daredevil. It's a lot of people well, kind of sneer at it. What but, is real Daredevil? Right? But it was because it was very nineties. It was like the armor and all the stuff. I think of all the redesigns you could give someone, it's pretty still pretty. Kind but of I, like, I love it so much, so like enough that when I got when I was getting married, like for my bachelor party, that was the gift that everyone got me was this amazing statue of Daredevil, and it was a variant that was him in the nineties costume, and I love it. And so like that's so that that was my first real introduction to the character was that. And then I remember going back and reading like a, a Fall of the Mutants tie-in that Daredevil was part of. It's, he, he gets involved in some weird stuff. And I remember reading like an um, Inferno, I think it was an Inferno tie-in. I remember reading, or maybe it was Acts of Vengeance because it was Daredevil on the cover holding like an Ultron head. I was like, what? Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that kind of made me more interested about the character and then going back. And then when I first started buying trades for the first time, which was in the mid-90s, I remember getting a lot of the Frank Miller stuff and just really devouring it and loving it. And then kind of jumping in afterwards I was I really liked Joe Quesada stuff but looking back I don't care much for it you mean like his like his as the artist or him in like Daredevil uh, uh, well, a little bit both I guess I'm, I'm more as him as the artist uh, on Kevin Smith's run I that kind of brought me back into really wanting to follow Daredevil on a regular basis but I never really looking back on it I don't like it that much so that introduced me to Quesada and I really like what he was doing in parts of a whole and in uh, Guardian Devil because he had actual artistry which he doesn't <laughs> yeah, always have perhaps. because um, I think he had time and I think he wasn't burdened by other job responsibilities yeah. and he was able to really just explore his expression of artwork like that the scene where he contemplates uh, suicide that's famous scene. like it's brilliant and, and all the panel work issue he does six. there yeah it was issue 6 and it was just wasn't it a lot of just tiny little panels yeah, I mean, he, he does a lot of experimenting with panels, you're right, um, in that because it's kind of superimposing um, the shadows and light from his loft window over him. Mm. So he's kind of got these shadows scattered across his apartment, across him, that, f- that frame his apartment as though it were the panels in a page. Mm. Uh, and then he plays with that kind of imagery. And then later on in parts of the whole, paired up with David Mack on, on writing... Um, David is a very experimental uh, artist, and so oh, they yeah. play a lot with form and, and, and placement of panels, and they have this great scene in there where um, they're at a, a concert uh, where Echo's playing, and mm-hmm. uh, they're clapping, and so they do this clap set of panels where it shows like the Kingpin's hands getting like getting larger, which kind of uh, seems to indicate that he's clapping louder maybe, or maybe that his hands clap the loudest because they're so mm-hmm. heavy, and each of the panels are kind of skipping across the larger image like like stones across a pond and every time that it gets larger and there's a larger panel and clapping just like really neat stuff like that um things that even reminded me of uh Starenko, um how okay. he would just you know he's famous in his shield uh nick fury shield books for working labyrinths and labyrinthine kind of puzzles into the panels in between in, in the gutters 
Um, there's a great you know example where uh, if you don't solve the labyrinth he's drawn in between the gutters, you can't decide which panel's next. That's right. Like you find where the panels are in the order by solving this, by being kind of like a detective. And so they kind of do the same thing in the uh, court case in parts of a whole. They have uh, you know, Casada draw, starts drawing uh, labyrinths almost, like mm-hmm. little, little puzzles for you to kind of solve because you know, it's, it's a, the theme is parts of a whole and what's some, some sort of mystery and what is the connection between the Kingpin and Echo mm-hmm. and this whole thing. So yeah, I would say his artistry really ramped up at that point. And since then he's been relegated mostly to covers and then he did his side project with Daredevil Father. Which, as we recall, took months. It was delayed years heavily. to finish. Yeah, months and months and months. <laughs> um, I like it. You know. Yeah. Uh, I, it was kind of uh, look to very briefly go through the honorable mentions. He was that, that was kind of on there just because for the artistry alone. And I think uh, I think the first few issues were more frustrating, but once it came to a close, I felt like he did have something he wanted to say with the story. And I thought it actually I liked that. Uh, I don't know if you recall, there was a shot of him saving the man. And then with each issue, we got more of that picture shown to us until we real we saw more of it. I don't know if you remember that. I read the first issue and then stopped. Oh, caring. really? That was it. Oh, yeah, I didn't. Oh, care. it's actually pretty good. Yeah, I should go and try to read it again. But like, I, I keep thinking about buying it in trade just so I can sell my singles. But I mean, it's not bad. I mean, some of the and Quesada does something different with his art. He goes bulkier, kind of like a John Romita. Yeah, very like 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 Daredevil is like a triangle. Like he has shoulders, and then they just kind of narrow down to a point. A little bit. Weird. Yeah, but it's kind of interesting. It kind of emphasizes, you know, he's a, more of a boxer almost. Like in terms of his some of his design, because usually he's more acrobatic and much more. Well, this is what I prefer. I prefer the the Frank Miller Ninja version. You know, yeah. that's what I like. So that was kind of on my list. Um, uh, now, if I mention anything that you're going to be mentioning, just don't like you're going to do it in, in longer detail. I'm just going to quickly throw it out what it is. Uh, also, for those who are listening to the, to the episode, uh, there's a great uh, Daredevil website you can look at just for synopsises of the issues that we do mention. Uh, it's um, www.manwithoutfear.com. It's extremely good resource. Uh, you don't have to say www. I guess not. Whatever, I'm still doing it. Everybody knows what you're... <laughs> I'm doing it. Um, to, to prepare for the episode, like to try to refresh my memory, I was just going through like galleries of all the different issues and then looking at the quick synopsis just to remind myself of some of the stuff. And it was a great uh, place to go just to, to kind of find out more information. So I do recommend that. So uh, ones that didn't quite make the top ten was uh, Daredevil Father, Daredevil Redemption, uh, Daredevil 200, which is by Denny O'Neill and William Johnson, which is uh, a really great fight between Daredevil and Bullseye. Um, it's after Bullseye kind of got his spine fixed and I guess adamantium laced because um, it was didn't the agree 80s with that. I, didn't agree I with know that. but it was, it was kind of a cool thing it's interesting too because like William Johnson I don't even know who that is as an artist like but he does a fairly good job on the art I enjoyed it and it felt climactic enough um, also not making it on the list uh, Daredevil 82 to 87 which is uh, The Devil in Cell Block D by Ed Brubaker and Michael Lark uh, with Stefano uh, Godiano uh, Daredevil 116, which is the Return of the King prologue but on the Costa de Morte by uh, Brew Baker, and uh, it was absolutely stunning. I read that again today. Just, just wow. Um, uh, yes, I have one of the omnibuses here. Pass that over while you're talking. Uh, also, uh, What If Karen Page Had Lived by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Lark, which isn't really, in some ways, the greatest issue because there's a lot of recap, but the ending is what makes it so stellar. Uh, one thing I completely forgot about until about an hour ago was uh, Daredevil Noir. Oh my goodness, yeah. By Alexander Irvine and Tom Coker, which is absolutely stunning. And it's very Alex Malevish 
in terms of the artwork and uh it's a, it's not like obviously the core continuity it is part of the noir era so it's you can almost look at it as not being a real daredevil story but it's really good uh, yeah, I don't think it's fair to say. I think anything that has Jared Elvin in it still counts. is a real story. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Um, then, uh, also not quite making the list, was uh, Daredevil The Man Without Fear by Frank Miller and John Meter Jr. Uh, Wake Up, which is Daredevil 16 to 19 by Bendis and Mac. Decalogue by Bendis and Believe, which is 71 to 75. Uh, Out by Bendis and Believe, which is 32 to 37. And that's kind of my back nine. That's I, quite an honorable mention. I had it. such a tr- tough time with this because. Then the stuff I realized, like, a lot of the stories, it wouldn't necessarily on their own be at the top of my list. But if you cumulatively took all Bendis' stuff, it'd be in the top. But I, I broke it down well, by stories. Well, that's kind of the problem with any large run. Because Frank Miller's the I, same way. Well, like, more more in the pick, modern era, though. Because with, Dar- with, with Frank it, Miller's... He's for trade. Yeah. With, with Miller's stuff, there's you could, there's more sections of where you can... Yeah, but even, have to but be even 181 is nothing... That it could be without you without do the need history the last there. few years, like the next twelve issues. You probably need twelve it. issues prior. Yeah, yeah. One sixty eight when she first appeared. One eighty one. So yeah, you got about fourteen issues you need. Uh, so that's my back. Any honorable con- uh, mentions you want on the list? Yeah, I shoot. If I had remembered Daredevil Noir, I guess it just goes to show: um, a when you don't own it in your collection, it's hard to kind of scan your shelf to recall things that you enjoy. Well, miniseries are tough too, and right? B because it's out of continuity, we don't think about it as much. No, that's true. Um, yeah, okay, so I, I just put two down. Um, you'll notice from the big get-go that uh, my list will probably belie how much Daredevil I've read. I've read more Daredevil than my list will, sh- will, will denote because I'm such a huge Bendis apologist. Okay. And I use it in the way that, it, you know, the root word for apologist is, is for d- to defend something. Okay. So I'm very much like a fan of his. And any, I come, when it comes to his Daredevil work specifically, I'm very much a big defender and proponent of it. Okay. When it comes to all his other stuff, not always, not so much. Like New Avengers and whatnot. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I really like his pulse and his Daredevil. I think those are really enjoyable. Okay. Um, and so... So what did The two honorable mentions that I do have... Yeah. Um, that... Would you include Daredevil Noir on there? No. No? no. Yeah. You no. don't like it enough? I don't know. No. Oh, I might. Uh, neither one of the, the two honorable mentions are Bendis. Uh, one is Parts of a Whole... Okay. Which the it's hard to mention to recommend necessarily now. I don't think it's as important, but I, it's hard to divorce from my feelings at the time as a comic book reader. I was a teenager. I was still trying struggling with what the medium really meant. I was still kind of the surface level type of reader yeah. who thought the comics were cool because they had really cool fight sequences and because Marvel comics were very interconnected, which mm. separated them from DC. And so I thought that was neat. They were a modern mythology. Um, the parts of a whole started pulling me into the medium and, and trying to, you know, help help me see more of what it really is, what it can mean, what it can what it can convey, um, things about it that are far superior to film or to prose. Mm. Um, just like I mentioned before, in the way they can play with panels, and the way they can mislead your eye, and the way they can evoke metaphor in ways that is not heavy handed. Uh, most metaphor that gets used in prose is very heavy handed. Like they say, you know, oh, uh, he was a snake. Yeah, well, that's a metaphor, and they're they're very overt in what they say it. Uh, Frank Miller, I have to accuse him of being a little too heavy-handed. Oh, completely. Um, a little much of a ham, like a bit of a ham himself. Uh, he does a lot of his metaphor in narrative boxes. Mm. Like he's very overt about it because he's trying to evoke this kind of noir, which which and, and noir uh, as a genre really plays a lot off of narration. 
Uh, whereas what you can do instead is you can use silent panel work and you can give metaphor through pictorials, which is the strength of a movie, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of movies can just demonstrate something to you by superposing it or juxtaposing it against a sunset or a spider's web or whatever you want. Uh, and I think that comics really bring the strength of both the prose and the, and the film medium uh, to, to, to the foreground and, and, and that you play with that. So that's what Parts of a Whole taught me. It taught me different ways to really express uh, the ideas of a comic. Mm. So it's more for its artistic merit more than its storytelling. I don't feel it's a great piece of storytelling per se. Okay. Like the actual content, the, 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 um, uh, the character. I mean, Echo's a neat character, but... Uh, I don't it's think it's an interesting artifact. Memorable. It's an artifact of its time because I mean it was right after Karen died, which I mean it's kind of that's they're kind of done with that, and then they moved on to Mila and even beyond her. So it's it feels a while ago, and then Echo's dead. Yeah. So it's kind of like it doesn't. But across matter. her career, I have enjoyed her. I enjoyed her in Parts of a Whole. I enjoyed her in that quick little uh, mini story about him and uh, about she and Jared on the playground. Their fight there. I enjoyed her in uh, Moon Knight. You know, um, and. Actually, it's hard to enjoy her in New Avengers because she was such a, 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 a tertiary character. She was off the side. She should never time. have really shown up if it wasn't Mac. Yeah, you know what? They did a whole storyline called Ronin. Yeah. What was it, the third arc? And they go to Japan and whatever, and they fight the Silver Samurai, and it was meaningless because she wasn't really useful. And she wasn't really supposed to be there. Like, it was supposed to be someone else in that costume. Yeah, it was. It doesn't help that... that, that it's it's kind of reminds me of uh, you ever heard of the Armageddon two thousand one storyline at DC? Uh, there was big hush hush because they had the, the monarch character, and they and then fans figured out that you know it's it's got to be Captain Adam, and they're like crap. They figured out the ending. So we have to change it. Yeah. So they changed it to be something that they clearly refuted earlier in the storyline. They couldn't be that. It couldn't be Hank Hall. It couldn't be Hawk. It's the problem with serializing your books. And it was a big issue, and it's always been kind of a controversy of, of that's what happens when you don't stick to your guns and you try to make something like kind of unguessable and the surprise, and then people figure it out, and you're like, oh, I got to change this. Well, I, I guess it's not the problem with serializing your books. It's the problem with doing it month to month mm. and not releasing them as whole stories because you get that. Well, it's also that trying to bank so much on the surprise. Yeah, that's never a good sign. Because if you're if you're banking your entire story on like the big reveal, like obviously you want there to be a reveal. But if it's if it's really well done, then I'll still be surprised. Like, who cares if people figure it out? Now you said Born Again was one of your honorable mentions. No, no, sorry, Man Without Fear was. Man Without Fear. Okay, so Born Again is one of my honorable mentions. Really? Didn't make it? Yeah, I, I it started what? off really high on the list. How did it not make it? And there's a few reasons for it. Um, Born Again. I'm talking about the same story, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I like the story better than how the story is told. Are you ready to get out of my house? Because that's about to happen. <laughs> I think I think Mazzuccelli is a really talented artist. He is brilliant. And I think that in many ways he's a stronger artist than Miller. But I think my favorite, some of, most of my, not all of it, most of my favorite Frank Miller content is Drowned by Frank. And there's a, something to be said for when you have an artist and a writer who are the same person. It's just that the strength of the story and the strength of the narrative yeah. is sometimes unparalleled. True, um, sometimes, because there's certain things they can do in the artwork that you couldn't do if you were just yeah. writing. Because they, they are taught to visualize in a different way. Because in many ways, um, they say that an artist of a comic is the director. But depending on the strength of the script, sometimes the scripter is trying to coax or direct the penciler. In the modern way, more yeah, so. Yeah, especially since they break down things by panels now. It depends on which writer. Some it writers does, it still, does depend on the writer. Yeah, Absolutely. You're right, though. But, I mean... The modern so, sensibility, especially with Bendis' like, full scripts, like they're giving a lot more direction. But what happens when you have an artist and writer and they're, uh, who are the same person, and the writer doesn't have to tell anything to the artist? No. Because what he's picturing in his there's mind... Nothing, there's, or nothing, she, there's nothing lost in communication. Yeah. 
Um, so it ended up, you know, kind of towards the end of the list. And then I thought, you know what? Uh, more and more, I kind of side with my wife on this that modern or contemporary styles of storytelling and comic books are just more and more my favorite. I like the use of of empty panels, of wordless panels, of um, of that kind of the form of the of the visuals to tell the story, mm-hmm. rather than such a heavy dependency on the narrative. And the biggest problem I have with Born Again, again, not is not the plot; it's just how it's told. It's how heavy handed Miller is in his narrative. Box. It was his more heavy handed period. It's or he's so beginning that period. It's just lathered on there. It's so thick with narrative boxes. Like there are panels that Mazzucchelli is drawing something beautiful. And then Frank has to do like four or five caption boxes on top of it. Mm. Like even the final page. You know that beautiful page of him with Karen yeah. in the sunshine? And he's holding her and they're mm-hmm. both smiling. And it's like, Mazzuccelli just, it just says everything you need to say about the end of this story. Like it's such a perfect conclusion and it portrays it so wonderfully in the, in the pencils. Yeah. And then it's just got Frank's words plastered all over it. And I'm like... Well, to, to be fair, the Frank's words at the end there are pretty neat. Um, it says something to the effect of, oh, gosh, do you have it handy? Which one? Uh, Born Again. Um, I do. I have to give me a second. To uh, no, no, you know, what, you know what? I think I've got it. It says something to the effect of, um, I've never seen my costume, but, you know, because you know, I've never seen it. People telling my costume is really, like, yeah. meaningful or something to that effect. Are you talking I've Born ne- Again I- or Man with a Fear? Born again, I think. Oh, maybe I'm thinking. Maybe I'm crossing wires. I think you're crossing wires. Okay, you know what? It doesn't matter what he says because it, uh, if you if you have the the born again handy and you turn to the last page, you'll see what I mean. It's just a gorgeously rendered panel. Yeah, it is. It is a man without fear. God only knows. It so I like. forgot what Frank wrote. It, but okay. but but what I remember are the pencils. You know what? Okay. I, that's what yeah. I'm trying to convey. Okay. Uh, actually, one thing I want to mention because it was in my honorable mentions is the uh, the what if Karen Page had lived. Uh, when it was, it's a haunting kind of ending, but the last page definitely evokes that. It does the end of Born Again because it's the idea that Matt gets out of prison. There's no one left. Yeah. No one cares, and uh, he gets out early, and, it, and just he doesn't ask why. It doesn't matter, and it just it's a sad, lonely image of you know even if she'd if she'd lived, uh, his life really wouldn't have worked out better. So the reason why I do bring Born Again up, Born Again up here, at least as an honorable mention, is because there's so much of what that story uh, gave to us as readers. That will inform the rest of my list, and and primarily being the theme of the chess game that Matt and 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 Kingpin play throughout mm. their career. I more than their fighting sequences, I love the chess match that they play. How they outthink each other, they outplay each other, yeah. they give each other away. One of them sees an opening, they play their hand, they play it too quick, like all of those things. And they and, it, and this chess game is played across the city of Manhattan, most more specifically um, uh, Hell's Kitchen. And it's about laws and about like social, you know, what, what, people, what society will accept and how far men, men, men of, of vision will go and, mm. and power and intelligence. Like that is the real thing that fascinates me about their relationship. And Born Again is where I feel it climaxed. Like when you really saw the Kingpin play his hand against Matt and then how Matt essentially fell into nothingness, how he, he lost everything or so he thought and climbed his way back out to essentially, you know, retake his city. So, I mean, I just, I, that's what I love about the story, but I don't feel that it's as, as easy to read as I once did. So, okay. it's not on my list. What would be your number 10? Let's start going down the list. I had Return of the King. Return of the King? The, yeah. the full storyline? Or just, because I, I had mentioned the prologue, I think. The prologue is the strongest part of the story. Do you have it handy? Is it right in front of you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have the, it's in the, uh, well, it's recollected in the uh, Bendit, sorry, the Brubaker uh, Omnibus Volume 2, and it's, it's a gorgeous issue. Who does the art there? I'm just um, does it credit does it? them easily enough? Oh, it doesn't credit them easily? I may have to see if I can find... Don't worry about it. 
116. I, it looks like it's probably Lark, right? Well, 116, David Aja. Oh, it's David Aja? That's okay. why it's so beautiful. No wonder, okay. Because I'm a huge fan of David Aja. He did work on Immortal Iron Fist. He's doing the current Hawkeye run. There's a the first, that second page of the issue with uh, Kingpin, just with... With Daniel. the hand? With the hand, with the with the two the swords, Tom is embedded in his back. Like he, uh, it's just, it's an amazing illustration, and you're plunged right into this. Like you don't even know what's going on. No, like we haven't seen Kingpin in forever, and suddenly he's there. Even the cover with like the blood kind of splashed over his eyes, mm-hmm. and the blood um, on his hands, which is a great metaphor. Hands, yeah, it's a it's a gorgeous issue. Now, what what about the storyline? Kind of, oh. I, I was surprised that anything Brubaker would be high on your list because I don't, I, did, I didn't hate. Okay, I guess I always got the sense that I loved Brubaker's run on it, and, and I always felt you were more down on it. I was more down on and it. Maybe because, that's not totally correct, but that was always the sense. I, I, I got think from that's you. I think that's fair. Uh, the problem with me with Brubaker was he came out. It came off such a high with me. Not only was Bendis just brilliant and one of my favorite writers or, or writing periods, um, he ended it so strong with the Murdoch papers. And then Brian had intended to do a storyline with Matt in prison and then kind of said, you know what? It's time. I'm, I'm going to stop it now. I'm not going to do it anymore. It's going to be too much. Um, you know, and, and, and I guess they had this conversation together with the two of them. And apparently Brubaker, I remember this interview, had kind of mentioned to Brian that he had wanted to do a storyline about Matt in prison. And if his intention was to end him up in prison at the end of the Matt Murdock papers, that would be perfect. So they kind of were, it was almost, it was almost serendipity, like how they were on the same page in their yeah. minds. And so Brubaker took, you know, the baton and he ran with it and he did a, a very strong story leading out of the gate. And I really enjoyed that first storyline about Matt in prison. The Devil in Cell Bhakti. I did. Uh, it's particularly the, the Foggy Nelson. Oh, I guess that it's not was a spoiler. Should I spoil the Foggy Nelson death? That was unquote. fantastic. It was really done well done because that was one of the few times I can honestly say, like I've been reading comics of you know not as long as some people, but at least twenty years. That's long now. Um, yeah, we're and, old. And so I've been reading comics. You know, uh, I've, this isn't my first death in comics. Yet this was one of the few where I, I believed it. And it's stupid. Like I look back, I'm like, Adam, you idiot. There was no body. Like, why would you believe that that happened? But it was told so well, and I bought into the fact that they'd kill off Foggy Nelson. So right. when they showed that he wasn't dead, I was like, whoa. I know. It's one of those things. You know, like, you take certain things for granted. And this is a guy who brought Cap- like Bucky back from the dead. Like, I shouldn't even be surprised. But I was surprised. So then I didn't feel after that point that Ed really knew where to take Daredevil. He did this thing where he, like, goes to Europe, and he falls in love with this girl. that he finds out it's Come because on. of her perfume. He fought the Matador. Yeah, he fought the Matador. <laughs> Um, and then they come back to New York, and there's this whole Mr. Fear storyline that goes on forever. That's true. And I didn't feel that it, re- it really had anything that mattered. It I didn't did like the Vanessa, me. the Vanessa Fisk stuff, though. That was Well, I mean, that's kind of touched on again a little bit in um, Return of the King. Yes, like the definitely. Re- resurgence of, of, of Wilson. And, and the fact that what, what, what has happened to Wilson as a result of what Vanessa basically did, and she, yeah. she's left him with nothing. Yeah, it's, it's the broken down Wilson Fisk. You see him, and it's great because it's not a matter of like Matt seeing him like this. No. This is his most private, at his lowest point, and it's not about his enemies coming to gloat over him. It's about what decision you'll make now. Yeah. Are you going to die in this room with these ninjas who yeah. basically killed you, or are you going to stand up? And so Lady Bullseye comes in and says, look, you know, there's a great line where she says, um, are you a little boy? You know, like get up. Yeah. You know, you, you got. It's interesting. It's not really a Daredevil issue in a lot of ways. It's a no, it's Daredevil not. comic, but it's an, a but this issue. is the strength of Frank Miller's universe. It doesn't need yeah. to be right. It's the Daredevil universe, and we're all just living gave, in it. He gave further dimension to Wilson Fisk as a character that previously hadn't really existed. <laughs> Had not under Ramita's. Well, not under Ramita. Under like in the Amazing Spider-Man days. Yes. I mean, Daredevil is well known for. 
especially if you read like the first like year or so of his own comic, he was just boring other people's villains half the time. Like he didn't. The the reason why he felt like a that like as you mentioned, kind of like an also ran kind of Daredevil uh, Spider Man light without powers, without or at least as strong powers, is because he just kind of played with other people's villains, and even his strongest villain is still not his own. All, yes. Unless he kind of bullseye. And and one of the bullseye other... is also there, and he is bullseye is definitely his. One of the other themes that I really enjoy from this, first of all, is like the quote-unquote redemption of, of, of the Kingpin. Or at least the, it really is, it feels like the return of the king of King of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Matt has kind of been playing around in the past with being the Kingpin of Hell's Kitchen. Um, and, and Wilson eventually ends up, you know, with nothing. And now this is his return. And I thought it was really impactful. It had a lot of heart to it. Yes, in particular, issue, issue 116, where it's about his kind of turning point where he, he decides to come back and claim what's rightfully his. But also, you know, this is the point where in, when Ed Rebreaker reintroduces Stick back into the mythos. I mm. love Stick. I love the ninja content. They bring back the, the hand. You've got Lady Bullseye kind of... Isn't, was Matra Itzo already in here by this point? This is this is Itzo. Okay. Yeah. But Itzo is Stick. No, a lot of... No, um... you know, I, I, okay, I, I say Stick, but it's okay. because is Itzo is Stick. Okay, yeah. You is. know what I mean? Like, they, they play on the same way. He's like exactly the same character. He talks the but, same way, but, he acts the same way. But he's not white, like Stick was. Like, no. other than that, this True. is the same theme. Now, the actual storyline itself, is it by Azra as well, or is it by Lark? Lark. Okay, because I was just... I'm, I'm, I'm watching you flip through the pages, and uh, I don't know who the colorist was, but the, the snow scenes are just captivating. Like you're yeah, just flipping they through, are gorgeous. And, and there's just something about it. And there's something about Daredevil in the snow. Yeah, you know, there was a recent, well, not recent now, maybe Look it was these. a year and a half ago, uh, issue of the Mark Wade run where it was Daredevil in the snow, and it was just, I just, I, I like Daredevil in the snow. Part of it's because they play with his. Sometimes they play with his senses as well. Like, how much would that throw you off? Yeah, you're right. Well, or, or how much would it help you to use your radar to kind of ping stuff if there's stuff everywhere would it cloud your radar or would it allow you more sound to kind of bounce off yeah. of the, the snowflakes because it's not like rain because rain is more definite like they actually that was the one I mean a lot that was the best the, part of the movie wasn't it it was one of the better things like I like seeing how they used rain to show mm-hmm. how he was being able to visualize things which, I still think that movie gets a bum rap which to me was the best part of how uh, Scott McDaniel told stories with Daredevil because his depiction of the radar senses is my favorite he gives impressions of things from Matt's point of view it's not like a red image and there's like some, an actual radar like later. Like even Marcus Martin kind of does that radar kind of a thing. Bit, yeah. Don't care for that as much. I like um, McDaniel. He gives like a stark black and then has white to kind of outline the faint image that might be happening or yeah. coming from that radar. Anyway, so that's why I like Return of the King. I think it's, um, it's, it's in my opinion, uh, Brute Baker's strongest story. Um, and, I, and I would kind of couple this with the um, Lady Bullseye story that... Preceded it, yeah, preceded, preceded it. it yeah. Um, I like, I enjoy them both, and of course, it doesn't hurt that Clay Man is also involved in Lady Bullseye. Uh, of course but, not. But it's really Michael Lark. I mean, I think Michael Lark is one of those artists who makes the writer look better in any project he's in, and David Dodge is the same way. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Brubaker and uh, Lark work really well together, anyway. I mean, they, well, yeah, they have for years, but um, they have I, a really great chemistry. I think right? I could write a script and Lark would make it look good because I know my script wouldn't be good, but Lark would make it amazing. He would, yeah. He would, just yeah. put some, put, put some snow, some snow some in there, dark tones. He'd make it happen. Yeah. Um, my number 10 was uh, kind of a weird issue, but it was, I'm not a huge fan of the storyline it was part of, but uh, I picked Daredevil 49, which is Hardcore Part 4, mainly because I love the Bullseye and Daredevil fighting, and I've told Nate this many times, so he doesn't, he's not as interested in hearing the story again. I'm, I'm, well, no, I have oh. told, I, I've told the story a lot. 
Um, but like I remember, like this issue. First of all, you still had Bullseye wearing his movie costume, which is unfortunate. And he still had this the dumbass not, not a costume so much as it is a coat and outfit. <laughs> yeah, but he's got the the thing on his forehead too. The scarred. The, no, not a scar at that point. No, it's not been scarred yet. In this issue is where yeah. he scars. And was what's cool about this. I mean, you have. I remember on the a lot of people were speculating if uh, Bullseye was going to kill Mila because you had that cover that had uh, he was holding the different cards. I don't know if you remember that. He had the two, and there was the two queens that he was holding, mm. and then there was a blank card. And I was like, he's killed two loves. What what's what's the last one? And uh, and I always like that that idea. So that cover's amazing uh, by Malieve. Um I mean, in the cover you have him basically wearing the old costume. You only see his hand, but it looks like the, the glove from his old costume. Uh, but the issue is just it's a knockdown dragout fight between Daredevil and Bullseye, and it's absolutely savage. And then I like that Daredevil kind of makes fun of the the tattoo kind of thing, and then he starts carving into his mm-hmm. skull. With like he's like and he's saying like next a piece time, of glass isn't it? Oh, a piece of glass. Sorry, and then he's like you know th- this one's each in each circles for one of them. Like this circles for Electra, this one's for for Karen, and he's like you know the next time when you, you know when you really want it, like you know aim true and it's like I'll end you basically. And it's just so well done. And I remember I was reading it on my way. It was just a, it was a hot summer day. I'm way back to work. And I was just reading this issue, and it was just like I just I was shaking. It was so good. It was so. Maybe I don't know what I was listening to, but it was just so impactful as a story. It was just this is Daredevil pushed as far as he could. He's lost two people. To, this is what Daredevil. This is what sorry. This is what Batman versus Joker should feel like all the time. Hmm. You know that this fact that like I'm going to end you one of these days. It's going to happen. You've taken so much from me. I want to kill you. I'm going to leave something that you're going to remember. Did you feel that the uh, the fight between Heath Ledger's Joker in um, Dark Knight at the end? Did you feel that that was savage enough, and they were really just like really going after each other because I, I felt that there were some yeah, notes that like, was pretty brutal really. I, I liked it because it didn't feel a lot of times in comic movies sometimes they make it over uh, over choreographed mm. and it felt like a street fight it did yeah like Joker like, just like just wailing like on he's him. kicking at him and yeah. he's just wailing at him yeah like, he's giving the kicks yeah, yeah like you know like that. that is how people would fight his dogs on him like, and everything it's not always going to be this well balanced like you know you're jumping around this choreography mm-hmm. he's just street fighting he's just yeah. like fighting dirty he's kicking him he's trying and he's was it a crowbar or yeah. something I think it was he's a whacking him with a crowbar which yeah. fans wailing of, on him fans of Joker know he loves that crowbar and he's doing that grunt that he's like <laughs> that grunt that he yeah. was able to pull off it's so, kind of scary so that's what it should feel like when, when that force of chaos goes up against a force of order like that like it should just be manic and this battle that's just savage so much better than the Jack Nicholson fight I'm sorry but that fight that wasn't really a fight nope it was like tie tie this around your leg but in fairness I mean at times like you read these comics sometimes and Joker doesn't always fight back it's always he's doing he's mind games he's about everything else but when it comes to the actual fight Mm -hmm. it kind of just takes one punch he tries to squeeze that acid flower and it doesn't work and tries to shake Batman's hand and Batman's like I'm shaking your hand or if it's like robot chicken he shoots the acid bitch with a pee (laughs) it's how it comes pee almost as bad it's pretty awful it wasn't his not as bad as acid though because at least it's sterile yeah I guess that's and as Rick Torn tells us in uh, Dodgeball he likes the taste (laughs) oh god Anyway, so that's why I like. Uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of the hardcore story on its own. It's okay. It's got its moments, but it kind of. I don't know. It wasn't the most consistent storyline, but that issue in particular is what cemented it for me. What's your number nine? You're gonna hate me. I'm gonna hate you. Daredevil Yellow. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is my number seven, so I'm not gonna hate much. So, what do you like about Daredevil Yellow? Um, what made it number nine? I think this is better than. Um, Long Halloween and Dark Victory. Okay, I just do. I, I don't. I'm not hating on Batman. I enjoy Batman as a character. 
I just feel that... I can't even put them in the same breath because... Two, I'm, just, I'm just saying it because the team is the same. I know. But two of them are plots and, and like two of them are plot stories. And this is a love letter. Yeah, and, and it's a love letter. And it's more intimate and emotional. And, and I think it works. That. Just maybe this team should do more of these kind of shorter stories because it might have to do with the fact that they had to work within the constraints of a six-issue story. Um, yeah. Plus, he wasn't in the, the Yellow Costume long either, so they're kind of... There was not a lot of time to kind of play in, mm-hmm. in terms of the, the time frame of the original comics. Uh, no, I love Daredevil Yellow. I mean, we've said on the podcast many times before, Tim Sale saves Jeff Loeb from himself, or at least it feels that way sometimes. Because Jeff Loeb, he can be a tremendous writer. I mean, he had some good runs on cable, which is hard to say sometimes. Um, I mean, he's, he's t- told some really wonderful stories, but when you, but when you have uh, Tim Sale illustrating them, they just, he just, they, they're both so much better together. There's something about what Tim is channeling in this. It's almost got a Norman Rockwell feeling to it. Look at it. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm... Nate showed me a, a page, uh, there's a two-page spread of when uh, uh, Jack Murdoch basically knocks out his opponent, and he's got his arm raised above his head, and it's it's very well. First of all, that old timey kind of feel. Yeah, like, they're tap like there, there's no time period, so it makes it feel more timeless. All the men are wearing hats, and it's got all these people scurrying about. Yeah. And even though it has use through use of color. Um, center stage you've got Jack um, through the periphery you've got all this other activity going around and that's kind of what Norman did on a lot of his paintings yeah. he'd have maybe like a barber shop it and does someone getting a haircut and then all around the edge of the painting you can yeah. see people doing different things it definitely feels like it's 60s like they don't say it's the 1960s it could even be 40s or 40s yeah But they, so they don't assign a time period but it has this timeless nature to it kind of like, like the Batman animated series Kind of, yeah. So Batman's driving some sort of a space car, but everyone else is driving a regular car. Yeah, or you got the blimps. <laughs> yeah, the blimps. Yeah, yeah. Please blimps. Like, I don't see a lot of those in Gotham. Um, that was crazy in that Marvel history book, how Joe Simon is... Uh, was it, gonna, was it Joe Simon who's going to get on the Hindenburg, or was it... I think so. One, one of the one early of creators of Marvel like was almost going to take a trip on the Hindenburg, and then I'm they decided not to. How different when comics be. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, um, I don't... I kind of... I might even venture to say I like this better than Spider-Man Blue. Really? How do you feel about that? Um, I can see why. I, I, they work on much the same level, but they feel a little different. And I think well, part of that's because the whole idea of Spider-Man Blue is capturing more of the jazzy era, mm-hmm. which is different than this. Like, it was capturing more of a late 60s, early 70s, whereas this, as you said, it feels at times like 40s. Mm-hmm. It's like more of a 40s to 60s. Even with, like, Karen Page's very, very much his, girly, his Girl Friday, like, in sure. a big way. Like, that's how they write it. And, like, Again, like there's there's panels at the end where like they both uh, Foggy and Matt have a bit of a competition over Karen, and then they kind yeah, of resolve it. Yeah. And he's like, "After you, Mister Murdoch. No, after you, Mister Nelson." And it's very like chummy in mm-hmm. a way that the, it's so timeless. It really is. A, it's a period piece. It's gorgeous. Um, and, some and of Tim Sale's best. It's work. Some of Tim Sale's best. A lot of it's uh, a lot of what makes it really pop too is the colors. And there's a distinctly different color palette used in this than Spider Man Blue. I mean, it's the yeah, same it's, art. Blue's more melancholy altogether. It's much more melancholy, and this one is a little bit more hopeful because, although they're both melancholy, it's got a lot of, of bright colors, punchy kind of, lots of yellow yeah. kind of. Like you have electro in there, and some yeah. of the best looking electro because it's just well, it pops. And it's, do you think they chose electro because of all the yellow they could use? I think so, yeah. yeah. Because it's called Daredevil Yellow, and then it's juxtaposed with like a lot of black and whites. Yeah. So when the yellows come, they really pop out. No, it, it is tremendous. It really does depict this time of, of optimism post World War Two kind of America um, he's a he's a young lawyer which is you know respectable 
um, I like location. that they, they kind of show why he's a little bit more swashbuckling too. Yeah, he's got like, the, gir- the cutest girl in the world on his arm, and he's in love. And like he's a happy guy. He's got his he, best friend at his side. Yeah, and like what he, could go wrong? Yeah, kind of. Like it's it's interesting to kind of see like this very silver age version of Daredevil because so much of what people know of Daredevil now is sadness. So cute. And a... No one's been kicked in the in the in the shins more. In the and Marvel Karen's not a, not a, um, a, a cocaine addict, a heroin addict prostitute. She doesn't have AIDS or doesn't think she yeah. has AIDS. Like, I mean, a lot of people say that, you know, P- Peter Parker's the Parker luck, but his life has turned out much better than Daredevil's. If you love Daredevil, you're probably going to die. Yeah, there's a shot yeah. of the Matador. Shot of the Matador. Cute shots of Karen, like, practicing her boxing in the office, and Matt's giving her little tips. Like, I love when they go back to the boxing stuff. I love when they go back to the Irish Catholic stuff and the boxing stuff. That's like, what, can you name how many, of, uh, how many of Matt Murdock's girlfriends have died? Can I name no. Or can you name them? I can name a few that have died, but Which I, don't, ones? I don't know all of them. Who do you got? Well, there's the obvious two. There's the big there's two. There's the obvious two. There's the big two. Karen Page. One, one of whom is back. <laughs> yeah, one of whom is back. Yeah. Uh, no, one I can't remember. Gloriana O'Brien. Did she die? Is it O'Brien or O'Brien? It was O'Brien. I don't know the spelling. O-B-R-E-E-N. Oh, purple man. That's why That's it's nice. O'Brien. So I think, I don't know if she died or not. That I bothers me that I don't know. Hmm. I don't have her going hung herself. Well, I mean, it's the idea when you're involved in any superhero, right? That's why they tell you, don't get involved with me because of this and that. With Daredevil's case, it's true. It and, he, and he doesn't do anything about it. That's one of my the, one of the saddest things about the Daredevil movie when they did the director's cut is they took out one of my favorite scenes, which is that Daredevil leave, like he, he doesn't go and stop crime. He goes with the girl. And that, for me, was what made him different than Spider-Man, that he's not perfect and he... He, he loves the ladies and like he loves Electra and so he wants to spend time with her mm-hmm. and he prioritizes that over that whereas in the director's cut he leaves Electra doesn't go with her and he goes and fights crime and that bothered me because that was some something so poignant that and really sets him apart as a character and they took it away in the director's cut and everything else about the director's cut of Daredevil is so superior really is. to the theatrical cut except for that it just really show his feet of clay yeah you know that he is a man of weakness. And when Spider-Man, it comes to chasing the women. Yeah, well, because Spider-Man's origin is all about he didn't do the right thing, so he's always going to try and do the right thing no matter what. Mm-hmm. Whereas Daredevil's origin doesn't have that. No, because in, in its heart, he is a, a, a kid from the rough side of the tracks. He's a street kid. Making he's good. just street fighting, yeah. Being the man that his dad always wished he could be, or in some cases, from his perspective, showing himself that he can be better than his dad. Just this guy pulling himself up by his bootstraps and also trying going, to make something of life. But at the same time going up against what his dad wanted. Because dad didn't want him to be... Oh, I know, but Matt didn't know that. No. Well, he kind of... Like, when he came home from school and was like, I punched that kid. And then, like, his dad punches him. Oh, I thought you were talking about something else. I thought you were talking oh. about what Matt didn't know in Battle of Jack Murdoch. Oh, well, that. That's something yeah. else. I'm but no, his dad about. was quite overt with telling him, like, you're he, not going to be like me. You're not supposed to fight. I don't want you to be a I punk. want you using your hands for studying, not yeah. for punching. Although, realistically, he did become educated. So that's all he really wanted. <laughs> well, I wanted, he, said, he, he just wanted, said, I don't want you to be an uneducated pug like me. He, he wanted, didn't say you can't be a pug Every like kid, me. every dad wants their kid, or every parent wants their kid to be better than they are, to have it better off than they are. And yeah. he, he knew a kind of life I don't had. know maybe I want my kid to be a little bit uh, a little, little worse off rough. well have it rough so he can be better by having w- it rough uh, then I wouldn't call you a true parent then <laughs> call you some sort of maybe a technically a biological father but a, a real dad so sad alright my number nine was um, Underboss so that's uh, Daredevil 26 to 31 by Bendis and Believe their first major story that they did together uh, absolutely brilliant this is what like I, I love Daredevil, and I'd been reading a lot of older Daredevil, but I had fallen out of touch with the current Daredevil because I hadn't really read it when it was coming out. I hadn't read Wake Up. Like I, 
It was. I went back later. And read you don't that. need Wake Up. No, but it was good. It's and good I, and I hadn't read the weird Bob Gale written storyline that no one talks about that takes place between Wake Up and Underboss. Like it's, there's like six issues that have never been collected and probably never will be. They don't need to. And I think Stan Lee wrote one of them. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Anyways, but then you have Underboss, and I remember reading that. I was working at Shoppers Drug Mart, and uh, for our American friends, that's a drugstore. Sounds like it. Um, so I was working there, and they had some comics there, and I was reading the Daredevil ones. I'm like, this is really good. I have to buy this in trade, and then I have to start buying it. So the first issue of Out is when I resumed actually buying Daredevil off the stand. Um, but Underboss was just brilliant. Uh, I like that it's not even a Daredevil story at all. It's more, it's a crime fiction story. Extremely effective. Um, yeah, it is a great crime. It's a great cop FBI story, isn't it? Yeah, it's not about Daredevil at all. I mean, Daredevil's in it, and he plays a part, but it's, yeah. it's, it's about the mob. And it's about this guy coming in and worming Sammy his way in. Sammy Silk. Sammy Silk. And he's worming, worming his way in. And I love the idea that Richard Fisk is a broken man because he's had so many different versions of himself that he's under his dad's heel and he's, and he's just drunk. And he'll tell anyone who'll listen mm-hmm. about these, these stories. And that's such a great way to start a story. You know, and, and you're starting, like, isn't issue 26 start with Kingpin being gutted? Like, that's where he... Yeah, they do the, the A2 Brutus. They do the, yeah... I mean, it's heavy-handed, but, yeah. I mean... So, I mean, I, it's... Pull it's, a Julius Caesar on him. Yeah, well, that's what they do. But it really got me going on uh, on Bendis and really getting to know Bendis. I think this might have been the first real thing I'd read from Bendis, besides, I think I read Wake Up around the same period, but that's before... Like, I never read any of his stuff for... Uh, I read Wake Up when it came out, and... Because um, I was collecting all of those, and uh, then something happened. And uh, when I when I came to, to read Daredevil again, I didn't associate the two authors as the same because because the art was so different too. Well, the art was so different, and I wasn't as all about noticing the authors at the time. Not like that. Not like that. Now you're like well, now, well it's interesting because when, when you're younger, you go by the the character. Mm-hmm. I want to read Spider Man. Yeah. And when you're older, you're like, I want to read Zeb Wells. What is he writing today? Same thing with a lot of moviegoers, and like they want to see their favorite director. I want to see. That. I'm excited for the next Spielberg. You know, I'm yeah. excited for the next Del Toro. That's what they look for. It's once you get a little older, you notice that because I mean, people were doing that in the '80s. Like people followed John Byrne mm-hmm. on everything he was doing. That's why Alpha Flight was one of the biggest sellers of the of its day. Like its number one issue sold like five hundred thousand. And it's copies. never reached that height again because they've never, uh, I guess, had the same kind of no. love of the author. Well, even Brian but Byrne doesn't. But it's interesting because Byrne did such a great job on that book. He doesn't even like it. Like, I've read in interviews, he's like, I didn't really like them as characters, and I still don't like Why them. Why does that not surprise me about Byrne? <laughs> I know. He's like, they were created as characters to fight the X-Men. Yeah. That's what they were. And he's well, like, even that, when... It, that even, is honest. That is true. Yeah, and, but he's like, even after I wrote them for like a year or so, never really liked them. I don't really what? like them all that much either. No? Ultimately, I mean, I like them just because they're Canadian. Yeah, that's part of it. But like... For us, yeah. That's part of it, right? They're not the strongest. So un- Underboss uh, will always be have a special place in my heart. Like sometimes I'll, I'll read it and I almost want to just stop and be like, just read it again. It's so good. Like the FBI stuff is so strong. Yeah, the law enforcement stuff is the best. Like that issue where, where they bring in the director and they're like, okay, what do you got for me? Why'd you bring me out of bed? Mm-hmm. And they're just talking about like all the all the crazy stuff that's and happened. You see that the look, the change over come over his face. Yeah. And then and then they're like, and then they're finding out they have like the pictures of Daredevil and, and they're like, putting them up on the Bristol board. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that. Like that's yeah. so cool. Like that's what the Marvel 
universe is. Like that's the closest we got to uh, we've ever really gotten to having Gotham Central in the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. having kind of seeing behind the scenes, not through Shield, but through regular law enforcement, what it looks like to be doing. And then they're like. Murdoch's, Murdoch's file is classified by S.H.I.E.L.D. They're like, well, S.H.I.E.L.D. has his file? Like, yeah. like what does Why this mean? And then they're, they're talking about Electra's like, yeah, I remember Electra's like, he, she died on that Murdoch's And they doorstep. dated each other in yeah. college, yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's just like, they, they keep going forward, and it's just, and that's when you... That was the worst. She should not have gone to his doorstep to bleed and die out. That was not a good for her. Yeah, she, who cares? I liked it better in the movie how he was just there. Yeah, well, I like that... Like how far away was she? Like how? I how, know, right? Like you cannot climb that. That far. only works in a comic, right? Yeah, like that doesn't really work if you, you were... couldn't do that in a movie. No, because they'd be like on the subway, and people like, people like, she like pays her token. <laughs> Are you okay, lady? And she's like, I gotta get to Matt. Yeah. Holding her guts in, like yeah. she got stabbed right through that the chest. That was the one part of one eighty one I didn't feel really worked. No, no, but, but it's so short you don't really unless they're it. right by his house. Yeah, but then he'd be able to hear what's going on. If he's yeah. that close, he was he doing doing his toenails? Like he can hear. The, the, maybe he was the, training. Maybe maybe he's in a sensory dep- deprivation chamber. Oh, you don't know. Now you're just getting a no prize. You don't know. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> I love you're, no prizes. You're reaching for those no prizes. Uh, so that was my, I guess, number nine. What's your number eight? Uh, Guardian Devil. Okay, issue. I did not put this anywhere on my list. Specifically, issue five. Okay, because looking back, the story it starts off as like this whole thing about like. This baby's coming to the world, and it's like yeah. the must the, the it's like the Antichrist or something. It's so not Daredevil. Though. It's I, well, it's playing off of like some Catholic Christian tropes, but it's not really good. And then he's got this guy who's like it's scarred all over his faces, and he's like Gabriel, and he's gonna help me learn about the baby, and I have to protect it or something, and that didn't work at all for me. Um, and I and the thing was, I started reading Daredevil with five, so to me. That's it's a, all about like starting point. him going to see Doctor Strange or something crazy is going that on. That was brilliant, artwork. and those that artwork and, the, and even the the edges of the of the of the pages. Casada mm. has drawn these cool little like symbols and 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 and, and, uh, and I don't know um, etchings that make it look like it's from the occult or something or yeah. from some sort of magic book. Uh, and you know they, they summon the feast still. I'm like, what is this? This is brilliant. This is so cool. Yeah. And then they get to the point where the baby is in the church. And uh, dared, uh, Bullseye wants the baby. Yeah. You know, and that fight, I mean, the death of Karen. Does he break his tooth? Yeah. He, he breaks his teeth with the bullet club, then he takes his teeth out and he flicks him at Daredevil and, and right at his eyes. Right into the club. And he holds the club up right in front of his eyes and you see them hitting the club. Like, it's just done so well. And that, to me, typified so well what Daredevil was. Having not really been familiar with the character past um, uh, Fall from Grace. But everything that was in Fall from Grace, his ability to see things that aren't even there, and he doesn't, he doesn't have to necessarily turn his head to block something. Like just the way this superpowered blind guy can, can his the way he sees his world, the way he fights was so engrossing to me. And then the the final panel with her and kind of impaled in his own belly club, you know, where, uh, where Bullseye basically tells him, you know, never leave your your weapon unattended. Uh, where earlier he had dropped a gun and Karen picks the gun up and goes to pull the trigger on Bullseye and he leans into the barrel and goes, go ahead, you don't have the guts. And she starts clicking yeah. it and goes, uh, uh, you know, an expert never discards a loaded weapon. You know, he's like, he's on top of it. Like, it's everything he could think of. He's so deadly. This is before I'd ever known about 181 when he was arguably at his deadliest and most threatening, his yeah. coolest. This was a great echo of that um, hmm. so it's a good introduction to Bullseye it's a brilliant excellent and, and, and some would say to me I mean, it was really my, my uh, the strongest introduction I had to, Bull, to Daredevil at that point as well hmm. and that's what caused me to want to go back and collect the rest of Guardian Devil and I didn't find that the stories leading up to it were as good as 5 and the ones that followed it okay 
particularly, I think, issue six, after he's done, is it six or seven, I think, where he storms Mephisto's tower. Is that seven? Mephisto. Um, Mysterio's tower. I can't even remember what It's one of the was. two. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite scenes is when he's going into uh, the building, and he's just <laughs> there's a glass window in front of him, and there's two mooks kind of coming to, yeah. to block him, and he throws his billy club through the, through the window, makes a perfect-sized billy club hole, yeah. hits the guy on the forehead... Reflects off of him, flies back out through the same hole he created in the first time, instance, and he catches the Billy Club. Like that blew me away. It's so simple, yeah. But just the way Casada drew it and the elegance of that, I'm like, Spider-Man has never done anything. Like Spider-Man no. swings like with two fisted kick, you know, two feet kicks the window in. <laughs> You know what I mean? Shatters glass everywhere, causes a ruckus. Everyone's yeah. screaming. Spider-Man's here. This is the precision of a man who has crafted, you know, honed his skills to a perfect pitch. Mm. And again, that's something that would never work in a movie. What? I don't think it would work quite the same. Because uh, cool they'd have to slow it down to make it show you. Maybe. Yeah. And then I think it would lose something. There's something in in the, this, the staccato images of the comic. Although, I mean, for the, the benefit of the choreographers of Daredevil, there's that scene in the bar um, where yeah. he goes in, and they do some pretty cool stuff with his billy clubs. No, they do. And where they when he connects it into the staff and starts messing them up with his staff, yeah, taken right out of Fall from Grace, mm-hmm. uh, where he got his kind of um, I don't know what you'd call them these uh, modular almost billy billy clubs yeah. that can can, can combine into nunchucks and a staff. Um, and they do that in the movie, and it's very quick. And I noticed it, and yeah. I've paused it as a result. So yeah. I suppose you could you could argue that I'm the only one who noticed that, and it maybe should have no. been slower. But I, I, if they did a lot of scenes where he was doing things with that kind of precision, yeah. it might be pretty thrilling for people to see. They didn't play up the Billy Club as much in the movie. No, it was there. It was. They did some stuff with it, but uh, not quite to the extent of Captain America's Shield, no. where that's an, its own character. I'd say the big club is fairly important in that and how he gets around. And well, he's like Spider-Man's web shooters. Yeah, but more than that, right? Because Spider-Man mostly uses them for getting around and then maybe he might shoot some in your eye. In the comics, he uses them against his villains constantly. He wraps them up, but they were never as creative as when Ditko was doing things like the the bat made out of webbing. You know what I mean? Like, and it ruins Johnny's birthday or something. Yeah, that's um, true. It's not, they're not quite as creative, but stuff with the Billy Club, some of the, th- some of the most elegant and exciting scenes, just like when he blocks the teeth with the Billy Club or the way he uses it can be very exciting. And I think that it's a weapon that doesn't get enough... Um, you're right, in the movie at least, didn't get depicted well enough. Hmm. Um, my number eight was uh, the storyline called Last Rites, which is Daredevil 297 to 300. Now, before I show you that, Nate, and people who are at home unfortunately can't see this, but uh, 297 is an amazing ad in the is last the page. Is the Senti chef? Yeah. Uh, the actual storyline's by... Actually, no, it's not in the Senti. My bad. It's by D.G. Chichester and Lee Weeks. So you'll Lee like Weeks. the art at least. Anyways, the, the last page, <laughs> so the, la- the back is uh, an X-Men action figure... Uh, uh, by Toy Biz uh, ad, and it is spectacular. <laughs> spectacular in a horrible way. Yeah. I do love these old toys, but they... I had the Magneto, I can say that. Yeah. It's not good. That, that crawler looks pretty cool. Anyways, so moving on to the actual issues. Um, it's interesting that it took this long. So, I mean, Born Again happened in 227 to 233. It took over 66 or 64 issues or so to have an ending to that kind of storyline that it started. Because the way that Born Again ended, uh, Matt Murdock had no job. 
He was not able to practice law. He'd been disbarred. This is the storyline that allows him to practice law again by the end. Mm. And it also has him toppling the kingpin. So this is the fall of the kingpin. Like the culmination of everything that Vortigan started. Yeah, this is, this, is, this is the true ending of what it started. Um, we've seen a long... There was a long road that led to this, but this is how kingpin fell. And uh, the 300th issue is just a work of art. Um, there's a, it, it's Lee Weeks at one of his best. Uh, it definitely evokes born again like obviously it doesn't exist without born again uh the opening page there's a lot of work done with the same type of thing that happened in born again with like the um it's like the shades that are drawing the shadow over people's faces when they're in the in the bugle and very noir very noir and it's just it's gorgeous stuff and it's basically just the daredevil has to take down the kingpin so 297 has him confront typhoid mary and he's playing up her personalities so he kind of ends up like seducing the the, the the more violent sexual version and then kind of committing her afterwards like she wakes up and she's being committed um well, she deserves it she is crazy she is crazy and it's also daredevil kind of manipulating the uh the i guess it was the hand in hydra against uh kingpin and also manipulating shield a bit as well um if you haven't read the story on it's criminally underrated it hasn't been collected i believe since like 1992 uh, I don't own it in a trade, and I wish I did, because I'd read it much more often. Um, but it is one of my favorite Daredevil storylines, for sure. It is just masterful. The issue 300 is really the money shot. I mean, it starts off with... Where he tells Kingpin, I forgive you. Yeah. And there, there's just so much good stuff. And, and King, Kingpin has this like mad dash to uh, retrieve the billy club that has um, Murdoch's DNA on it from when they killed the cabbie and. 228 or 229 when they tried to kill Daredevil and so there's a lot of callbacks but it's natural it doesn't feel forced and again it's the ending of that era I mean up until then you'd had uh, Matt Murdock for a while ran a like a free law clinic but he could because he couldn't practice himself then he had this weird period where he was just he was bumming around America with the Inhumans it's just some weird stuff for Daredevil and then there was a while where he wasn't he, he wasn't anything he was going by I think the I think this was the Batlin Jack era, or there's an era, another era where he went by a whole different identity, and he wasn't even Daredevil anymore. So there's a lot of weird stuff that that went through, but this brought him back to being the, the resetting his uh, his continuity basically, and, and and bring him back to his basics, but in a beautiful way. And this we didn't see Kingpin for years. I mean, this is 1991. I don't think we saw him until like 96, 97, and that was in X Men. X Men, yeah. yeah. And he had was cemented, in like Japan or something, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, but yeah. So it's interesting. What's your number seven? Mine is Man Without Fear. Okay. Uh, this is probably, of all the things I like about Romita Jr. and the work that he's done, this is some of his strongest stuff. It's not necessarily the tightest, cleanest pencils, I think. Well, that, definitely not clean. And I'm fine with that. I'm, it works. Yeah, it's for, it suits the story. Um, I'd say some of the cleanest work he's done is actually probably part of Brand New Day. Um, yeah, that, that that era of Spider-Man. He said some. We, we were looking at a Spider-Man art book prior to this podcast, and we were remarking that there were some panels from the Brand New Day era uh, around the election storyline uh, for Spider-Man, where it looked like he had a lot of lead time because mm-hmm. it was so crisp, and uh, there was no wasted lines. And the ink, the ink, kudos to the inker on that too, because very solid inking on it, and then the coloration was it suited it perfectly. It kind of made it almost look a like like a like a cartoon. Yeah. Um, as, for, as far as this goes, though, um, hugely influential on uh, particularly the Daredevil movie mm. takes scenes like directly out of this comic book. Um, yeah. You know, there's that scene where he's in the hospital a bit after his eyes have been scarred. 
um, and he's talking with his dad, and then his mom comes in. He feels the the cross around her neck. Mm. That's right out of the movie. And uh, uh, there's the sequence at the beginning where he's he, you know you see him with his dad, and his dad tells him you know I don't want you using your fists. And hey, I I I, I, I the kids were beating me up, or whatever. I, I socked him one, and then all of a sudden you, you know you see. Jack strike his son, which was kind of disturbing for in the movie too, because you realize all of a sudden this is not the typical, you know, lovey-dovey parent relationship that you see between uh, superheroes. Oh, it's not the first time Frank Miller had done that. But I, yeah, but this is, this is this is the 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 work where he takes an artist and tells essentially the origin of of his uh, of this character yeah. in one one cohesive storyline. Yeah. And again, uh, a lot of the angles that are in this book are kind of used in the movie. What, what ruins part of this for me um, is the over-sexualization of Electra. Uh, oh, Frank loves doing that. Frank really loves like to do that. Selena Kyle and Batman but Year like, One. But the original version of Electra wasn't, like, she was sexy, but she wasn't, like, like almost slutty sexy. Mm-hmm. Like, the way he, he, he writes her in Man Without Fear is, is so over the top, and it fits a lot of his women that he writes these days. He writes women like that. He writes them as sluts and horrors. I mean, that's... I don't know what Franklin was thinking, but that's kind of... I don't know what he's got against women. <laughs> yeah, and like, uh, it's just very disturbing that that's how he kind of illustrates them. Whereas his original rendition of Elector was this very innocent girl who then dedicated herself to deadly arts. And, yeah, I mean, it makes more sense that she's kind of... Got, was always kind of messed up. And I just wish that it hadn't been as overt as Man Without Fear. Well, she's supposed to have an Elector complex, right? I know. I just. I wish it hadn't been as overdone as it was in this in this story. And that is the issue with uh, Frank Miller. He 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 gets a good germ of an idea, and then he pushes it too far. He does push it too far. But um, as you mentioned before, this isn't the first time. I mean, we see the origin of Matt. This isn't the first time we see necessarily some of these beats of like the relationship with his father. I feel seeing it's the it best. All, seeing it all consolidated. I feel it's in all. One... Yeah. I feel it's the best portrayal. I feel it's the cleanest portrayal. And again, I'm showing Adam some of these pictures of Matt training, and it's just the great wordless panels that tell you so much about him and his his. And it's interesting that to... Miller was able to dial it back. Well, I mean, Miller d- did introduce a lot of people to silent panels. I know, but during this period of his career, he how was, verbose he was becoming. He's very verbose, and there are segments here that are a little verbose. But for the most part, the storytelling is very clean. It's very you got he's got images of, of Electra in his head all throughout the comic that he's kind of you know seeing her in a bikini. Like that is the part of the sexualization, but it's also part of Matt's character that he yeah. is a little lady crazy. He is Lady Crazy. And that's appropriate for, for his character. So I, I just, I, I love one of my favorite pencilers, seeing him just ma- working as a master in this. Mm. I, I think this is some of the best, as I said, that he's ever done. I have an off-topic Matt Murdock question for you. Did you lose respect for the character when he slept with Dakota North when he was yes, married to Will Donovan? Yeah, you know, I, I told you that. I, I can't quite remember it. I did not so. like that. No. I think if it had been handled differently, I may have been able to understand it. I was, I was it. flipping through, like, obviously doing like kind of a reread of a lot of the stuff, and I came across that, and I'm like, I just wasn't sure how you felt about that. And, and this book is the one that ends with, um, the costume is probably a good idea, so did myself, and then he's leaping into the air, and he goes... God only knows what it looks like. I like that. What a at, great at, at the top of the image, you see it. Yeah. You, you, you see Silver Age, yellow costume, yeah. and no um, silver armor. It doesn't look like he wore it yet. What year was this done? Oh, that's a good. That's a good point. I don't think he'd even worn it yet. This but you really think they would even put it in if they, <laughs> if it was? I think they would have if he'd worn it yet. What year was this done? Ninety three. That's about the time. I think he got it in ninety four. It's really or late ninety three, really yeah. so it's close enough that it makes sense that they wouldn't put it there. Because anyway. you're right, that would have been the most current one, mm-hmm. and that's the caution they would have used. Uh, no, it's a good story. I just it didn't quite make my list. As I said, I think my I put it like number fourteen. 
Um, my number seven we already talked about because it was Daredevil Yellow. What's your number six? Uh, let me count. I never put numbers on mine. You should really put numbers. It's easier to follow. Okay. Um, the Murdoch Papers, which okay. I would originally have put higher up on the list, but I don't know. It's something about... I mean, Adam made a good point that it was really about the culmination of everything Bennis had done and believe had done up to that point. That's the problem with Bennis' stories is that more than any other Daredevil writer, you can't just read that story. Like, if you read Murdoch, Murdoch Papers, it, there's a lot of guesswork. Not... Like the, particularly not that for Murdoch papers, but... I think like if you were starting to read Daredevil with Golden Age, you'd be fine. Yeah, you, you'd be able to to hop in. Sure. Right. Yeah, but there, there are but points Murdoch where Murdoch papers can, does not work, and Murdoch right. papers is not one of them because it's the last one, and, and this is what ties into Brubaker's run because he closes with. Uh, but it does make you want to read what happens next. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Because you're like, what the hell? It was just like, so I was you know loving Brandis and Malieve and their work on this this book and. This thing promised so much to me. It, it harkened back to Born Again with this feud between the Kingpin and, and, and Murdoch and Kingpin's knowledge of who Matt was. And that was the main crux of Born Again. And, of course, the story that Adam just brought up, uh, what is it, Something Rights? Last, Last Rights? Rights. Last yeah. Rights. Um, that's all about this, again, the, the chess game between these two people. And so this kind of brings that up again. Kingpin's in prison, and he goes, look, I want out, and uh, I will give you what you need. He's talking to the FBI. He's like, I'll give you the one thing that you need. You want Matt Murdock? I can give you the proof that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. This is touching on the long-running storyline that, that Benes had introduced without, mm-hmm. where um, it, it becomes, quote-unquote, public knowledge, or at least it's, it's in, a, in a news tabloid, that his identity is revealed. And so he goes, look, I have Murdock papers with all the evidence you need, and if you let me out, I'll give you the evidence. Um, it connects everything together with like uh, suddenly there's like a, almost a, a rat race uh, for, to get these papers. Oh, total rat Bullseye's race! Bullseye's got to go get them. Electra wants to save Matt from from these getting out, so she's trying to stop this from happening. Yeah. Black Widow's also concerned about Matt, so she's going to try to stop it. Miller's just in the middle. Matt's with Mila, like he just wants to spend some time with her, and all of a sudden, like Electra appears in their room. He's like, "What are you doing?" And, here? and he's like, "What are you doing here? Get out!" And he like kicks her in the face, <laughs> like he just gets out of bed and assaults her, and she and she kind of just like just lets him do it until he blows off steam and goes look you got to know what's going on and he's at this point you know white tiger's also been trained so she's brought in into it it gets to this point where there's this huge brouhaha that's right i said brouhaha you did uh with fracas with with black widow and electra and daredevil and bullseye and you know really some paladin some and paladin yeah with his great shot that was awesome that was a great shot that was awesome yeah unexpected yeah it was so many disparate elements all coming together and then when you realize what 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 Kingpin's plan was all along, and but why? What you, it... But what you think is at stake is so extreme that you're really invested in this, yeah. and the fight that they have, and and Bullseye is, you know, you have you ask yourself, how can three other characters be attacking Bullseye and Bullseye's not going down? But Bullseye's using to his advantage the fact that he doesn't care about anybody. Yeah. So they go into this office building, and there's shattered glass everywhere, and Bullseye starts taking the glass and starts firing it into civilians, and they're all getting like chunks of glass shoved into them and Matt is freaking out and trying to dive in front of them and stop the glass and, and Electra's trying to come to to like take yeah. him out because this guy like she you know is, is her arch nemesis yeah. but at the same time she's terrified of him and she's trying to keep her terror bottled up to do what has to be done and he's like turning and wheeling around after Matt's taking glass in the back mm. kicking her on the throat through a window you know what I mean yeah. and like Black Widow's up trying to do damage control and they just it's such an incredible fight scene 
I'm getting really loud. I'm sorry. It's okay, no, I'm, it's trying good. To, I'm trying to get back to my center Before here. Before because... Bullseye appeared, I, I remember reading that, and they're like, who else knows about it? And yeah. then the card shows up, yeah. and he grabs it out of midair. Great. Like, I love when people grab ha- things out of ha- midair. Half of yeah, what's great about Bullseye are his entry scenes. Yeah. Entrance, like, when, when in uh, well, Guardian, Guardian, Devil, Guardian Devil, when they yeah. hire him, and it's like, you know, he kind of he's in the chair, and he's he reading Catcher the, in the Rye. He throws the paperclip? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like, a lot of it is his entry. When he shows up, it's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. You know something's going to happen. I do like when they don't use him too much and like I mean Bendis wasn't allowed to use him for a while mm-hmm. so you'd have shots of him in the background but not doing anything and it was kind of like that Simpsons episode with that one guy you're like I want to see what he's going to do well and then when they put him in Thunderbolts when Ellis brings him into Thunderbolts and you're mm-hmm. like now Ellis can use these bullseye what's going to happen and he doesn't disappoint in the first arc yeah. he's crippling superheroes and it's like incredible so it's true. I- I'm a fan of Bullseye but this this fight this is a huge payoff for me yeah. I did enjoy the hardcore fight uh, you know probably not as much as you did but at this moment I was just so on cloud nine thinking I think, like how amazing this comic has become in a lot of ways the hardcore one for me felt more intimate it was more it was, it was. The, it was yeah, these two men it was you've destroyed two like the lives of two people extremely close to me. I will not let this happen again. Whereas this felt more like, it, again, you're right. It is the rat race element. Yeah. Like he was more of an obstacle. He wasn't the main show. Like going after Bullseye was not the the main thing he was focused on. And this, uh, no, this isn't where uh, Night Nurse is introduced. But I believe after he's shot, he gets taken to Night Nurse again. Yeah, and that's that. That was Kingpin's whole plan yeah. was to to force Ben Yurick to show to to. That was the whole thing about the storyline. Like, why why does Kingpin want Ben Yurick there? And he's like, Ben Yurick knows where Night Nurse is. If you don't tell him, they're going to put you in jail. Mm-hmm. And it was just like like this great turnaround. Like what? Yeah. And uh, now one issue I do love in that storyline is issue eighty one. Because it's after everything's kind of already happened, and you have that great sequence where Matt Murdock thinks about running away, hmm. and what would, what would that do? Yeah, and he th- he creates this whole like life of what might be if he goes escapes to Europe, and then you've got the death of Bullseye, and he imagines, and, and and then it ends up with him him and Electra, Electra yeah, in Paris, yeah, and where where would he go, and what would he do, and then he ends but, up doing, but nothing. you don't know it's that at first no, you, you don't think know. he escapes the court, but case. the more crazy it gets, you're like, I know, okay. I know. But you know you're right. It's a great. But those out. first few moments of him fleeing the country, you're like, "What is going to happen to this book?" Yeah. And you think, "Oh, so Brubaker is going to take over. And it's going to be in Europe, and then it's not at all." Yeah. And then Plus, the first thing Brubaker does is take him out to Europe. That's true. <laughs> it's interesting too, is that the, it's a very dark story. But then you have the bullseye in the blue, and it's just so striking. Yeah. Oh yeah, like he stands out from that world. Yeah, it was. If you didn't know up to that moment that it was a dream or a fantasy, the moment where he kills bullseyes, you know that it's not real. No, it's true. Anyway, that was a great payoff for me. Uh, my number six is an odd one. Uh, it's Daredevil 223, part of the Secret Wars 2 uh, event. It is a tie-in, tie-in to face the Beyonder alone. Now, the cover is not the greatest. Terrible. Uh, it's pretty awful. Uh, it's written by, uh, let me see, I got it written here, uh, Denny O'Neill and Jim Shooter with artwork by David Masicelli. Masicelli, or however you pronounce it. Um, it's a really nice one-off. It's the ba- basically the idea that uh, the Beyonder needs a lawyer, so he comes to Matt Murdock, and he's like, as your retainer, I will give you the gift of sight. And Daredevil spends a day, like, he can see things, and he can see his girlfriend, Gloriana, and how gorgeous she is. And she's showing him, like, she's a photographer, so she's all about capturing beauty. And he gets to spend this day with her, seeing things. He's never, like, he, he, it's been so long since he had sight, he almost forgot. And he comes to realize that it means everything to him, and that's a bad thing, because that means he could never be... Like he could, it would, it would like he wouldn't be able to do the work because now 
he he knows that this this means too much to him. And then he's like, I can't do work, the work for you in conscience because this isn't right. You've given because me something. You have shoulder pads and a jerry curl. Yeah, you've given me something too valuable. And so the banner's like, okay, you don't have to be my lawyer. I'll I'll give you your sight as a gift. You don't need. And he's like, I appreciate it, but I can't accept it. Like it, and so like he makes this acceptance of who he is and what he is, and he says goodbye to the idea of having sight. It's a brilliant one-off. Uh, most Secret Wars two Titans can't boast being really good raids. Um, Danny O'Neill is a underrated and sometimes overlooked Daredevil writer. Um, he was uh, Frank Miller's uh, editor for a long time. Um, it's extremely well done, and plus, Mazzucchelli does not uh, disappoint in the artwork. It's extremely well done. It's very heartfelt. Um, yeah, and it's 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 quite touching. Matt knows how hot his girlfriends are. Okay, he feels all their faces. <laughs> yes, I know he does. As was evidenced by Daredevil. Movie. No, this is true. Um, so yeah, I, I really recommend reading it, and you can probably find it cheap. I mean, it's reprinted in the um, Secret Wars Two Omnibus. If you have that, I'd recommend finding it for twenty cents in a, in a, in a bin before doing that. Before the Omnibus, nobody needs to read Secret Wars. That's 2. true, but it's a great value. <laughs> yep. You get a lot of... You are about value. I am about value. What's your number six? Uh, gosh, Wait. I thought this would be higher too. Number five, actually. Oh, so I think we're at number five now, Yeah, right? yeah. My bad. Mine is out. Out? Um, I thought that'd be higher for you. Yeah, me too. I just couldn't rectify it with whatever else was on my list. So for me, it was number 11. Um, do you have it handy? There's a few things I just want to comment on, and it's hel- it's easier to go flip through it. Uh, yeah, I do. Just give me one moment. And okay. I'll... Well, um... For those of you who may not know, this was the beginning of... Uh, it really does touch on what came before Adam's... Um, was Underboss? Underboss storyline. Yeah, it doesn't exist without Underboss. No, because for Sammy Silk is essentially the guy who um, who sets up the fall of Daredevil. He outs him and sells it to a tabloid, and the tabloid runs with it, and of course it shows the fallout of what happens to a superhero when their you know their secret gets out. And this has never really been touched on before, up to this point. So, or just start Alex and leave. Yeah, nothing. You can't say more than enough for what is Alex Malib doing these days. I discovered today what he's been doing. What's he doing? He did a half, like a half a, a Batman story hmm. in like Batman eighteen, I think it was. And I was like, what, what? I was like, this is really good art. Who did this? Malib? What? Yeah, I mean, without Malib, this wouldn't be as good. So I kind of have to say this is a Venice Malib thing. Oh um, yeah, which is fine. Sure. I mean, they together. They just they just created some incredible stories that that really compelled me to read more and be more interested. In it is one of those moments also where I feel like Bendis gets to a certain comfort level with his artist and is able to draw back. Well, in the earlier storylines, it's not as evident because there's a lot more over talking. But as you get further into their run, you see a lot more trust being developed. Mm. You see a lot more of uh, quieter panels. You see a lot more of just trusting his artist more. Um, not to say that the earlier storylines aren't fantastic, because they are, but you can see the uh, the formation and development of their relationship as a collaborating collaborating team. Um, this is where you see the rooftop scene with, with Electra and Matt, which you love. I which love is why, this. On that alone, I thought this would be higher for you. Well, it's on a rooftop. I mean, yeah. first of all, you know, you knew we were going to. I was going to mention it. Oh yeah, uh, rooftop conversation. So Matt's there. He's just been outed. He's trying to fight back against what the press are saying. Um, he's going to counter Sue for uh, libel. Has he um, decided to do that yet? At that point, I think so. If not, then it's it's coming up. Anyway, he's, he's lost. He doesn't know what's going very on. Lost, yeah. And he looks up on a rooftop, and then there's a shadowy figure of the love of his life, arguably. Um, and they have a, such an awkward conversation because she's a ninja. She's a resurrected dark ninja girl, mm-hmm. and he's saying things to her like he's trying to have a conversation. She's staring at him. And then she just says, look, you know what, um, clearly you don't know why I'm here. 
a woman named Natasha told me you needed some help, some advice. Mm. So I'm here for, and he's like, uh, Natasha's clearly insane. You're speaking about a woman who's very disturbed. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's like, okay, well then, see you later. And she runs away, and he's like, what? And has to follow her, and they had this like crazy emotional discussion. Well, about... the idea that he shouldn't even be following her, like he's no. got everyone in the world, and he's telling looking... himself, yeah, yeah, he's like everyone is associating with being Daredevil, and you're on a rooftop, and, and like you know anyone can get a shot with you with a long lens and see the two of you talking. Yeah. Um, and all he really wants to do is just kind of go like, look, my life is screwed up, and I, I need you. I need someone. I want to go back. I wish we never left that room. And he goes back to their college years, and he's just talking about this room where they were, you know, holding each other, and they just, they, you know, if they'd stayed in that room, just like any left. couple, they have that moment where you're like, I wish we never had to leave. Yeah, he's what trying if we to could stay trying here to, forever. He's trying to keep their 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 togetherness. Their That's how I feel right now, Nate. Wish we could never leave yeah. this room. One of those <laughs> moments that you whisper to your sweetness or your your loved one or your yeah. Your, your, your spouse. We, we all have those moments. I wish of, this moment could last forever. Where everything yeah. seems so perfect, and yeah. you're like, I wish this never had to end. Yeah. And he's and he's seen his life fall apart, and all he wants is to go back to that moment. To a simpler time. When nothing was complicated, no one had died yet. Yeah. Bullseye hadn't taken away two of his loves. And he tells herself, don't. You, don't you do it. Don't you say yeah. it. Sometimes I, don't, in his head. He's like, don't. I still wish we never left that room. And she and gives he him says, nothing. And you did it. And she gives him, she doesn't even turn around and look at him. No. She just leaves. So good. So amazing. So It's interesting emotional. though that later on in Murdoch Papers, she has more, much more emotion for him. But here there's yeah. nothing. Yeah. Like there's kind of a weird dichotomy in, in like he, he, he portrays Electra as being so cold. Maybe it indicates that she wanted to reach out to him and she wanted to turn around and look at him and she wouldn't. And she was listening to her inner voice that was telling her, don't Maybe. say it, don't turn around. And she listened to it. And then she thinks better. I'm glad it. that we never got a sense of what she was thinking. Hmm. It's so much more powerful. Oh, yeah, it is. With her just, with her having the, the unfeeling blank look in her face. Like she's got nothing to give. Okay, it's right after this. He goes and puts a scare into Sammy Silk. Yeah. And then he meets with um, Mr. Ingersoll, who's the, yeah. the, the the owner of the paper. Who soon is dead. And then he tells him, yeah. And he tells him, well, you know Spoilers. what we're kind of doing. Um, <laughs> this happened years ago. So, I mean, and, and there's also a scene, I believe, I may have missed as I was flipping through it, where... No, no, I'm sorry, it's a different storyline. Um, I was thinking of the, the Central Park scene, where uh, Reed King of Hell's Kitchen? Um, I, I believe it's King of Hell's Kitchen, yeah. So, I mean, that's the, that is the strongest scene to me from out... Doesn't that uh, say a lot too that it's hard it's hard sometimes to even remember which storyline the 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 events took place because it's all Bendis Malieve. Well it's all one big amorphous. There's that plot. and that it was such a long It was period. a it was a long yeah. ultimately beyond the writing and it's excellent, superb and the fantastic art, it's just what this meant to me at the time. It was doing something that I've never seen before with a with a hero, with a character. Um, it brought so much realism into it and real emotion and I, I really think of this. I think that I'm glad that they brought Daredevil into a much brighter, happier superhero place now. Like they, they spend a lot of time. Well, they had to. Comics in general went through that period. Like there was grim and gritty nineties, but then there was more realistic. Uh, there was more realism in the two thousands. There was this. It wasn't grim and gritty. Well, yeah, you look it was at just, what happened to Hulk and. Or, uh, yeah, like it was much more about stripping the, away some of the superhero aspects to make it more realistic. Even the Avengers, like they're fighting ninjas. They're not, which is a little bit more realistic yeah. than fighting gods. So Bruce Jones has Hulk barely appear in an espionage kind of like, um, you know. James yeah. Bondy almost kind of take on 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 um, Bruce Banner, mm-hmm. and then you're right with but the Avengers they kind of move away from uh, what was being done before. Thor with, died, so they didn't have yeah. to deal with it. So his cosmic stuff is gone, and Tony Stark is um, he's like involved in the UN. You know, he's yeah. all these things that are grounding. And then more and more. Uh, you have the new Avengers, as I said, like in 2004 slash five. So I mean, like it's a very different era. Mm-hmm. Even even Spider Man wasn't as big and bombastic. Well, some of it was. Spidey in the 2000s was 
Yeah, well, that's the weird thing about Straczynski's run because he really wanted to focus on the mythological kind of magical side. But he also did a lot of work with the supporting cast yeah. and grounding them. And they have like MJ going in and doing trying out for parts and like you yeah, know, so like he becomes a teacher. So you're right. It, it's it's an interesting period. Uh, and now Daredevil, you're right, is very kind of cemented yeah. in the real. Whereas ever since the like the heroic age, they've they've gone away from that. They've much more, and especially Marvel now. Marvel now is much more like unabashedly superheroes are fun. It's big and bright, and uh, there's some really thrilling stories in there. And sometimes they're serious, but also it's fun. There's more of a sense of fun and wonderment. I'd say it really started to ramp up after Civil War. Civil War was very much like this a political intrigue mm-hmm. with superheroes. Oh, reminds me of Captain America. All political and Captain intrigue. America, yeah. I mean, all that stuff. And now for him, it goes back to, to just after nine eleven. Obviously, like yeah. it was very oh, like I love that. like they stripped away him being involved in crazy Red Skull plots or. Well, I mean, even Brubaker, when he made it a Red Skull plot, it wasn't the... You still had the Cosmic Cube, but it didn't feel as crazy. I know what you mean. And bombastic. It was much more, like, just street level. Yeah, well, and the pencils really, you know, portray that very well when you have the most gritty... Is he the grittiest penciler? Epting? Yeah. You have Epting, He's and then gritty. yeah, and you have like Michael Lark is around. Yeah, you know, Michael Lark like, on there too. The, some of the biggest artists of this period are just are infusing it with this realism. Yeah, uh, not as much in the and then big stuff. Post Civil War, now you have um, Secret Invasion, and that really started bringing the cosmic back in. Yeah, but then you also had Dark Reign, which again then brought it back down <laughs> until Siege. Ended. Siege, and that was kind of a brought the heroic age. That's what brought in the heroic. It's like age. they were they were struggling against the cosmic, weren't yeah. they? Yeah, and then Avengers X Men just said. Cosmic, let's do it. Yeah. Let's have fun. Let's let's throw our two biggest franchises up against each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number, I guess, what, what are we at? Five? Uh, I do have uh, an Anacenti book. Uh, it's Daredevil 290. Um, it's an interesting uh, cover. You have Bullseye standing over uh, Daredevil and he's kind of holding him up and he's like, he's back, Daredevil the man without fear. And Bullseye's not happy about it. And you're like, but wait a minute, Bullseye's winning. Uh, it's a messed up fight. It's basically, at this point... Bullseye has been masquerading as Daredevil to try and ruin his reputation because Matt Murdock is out of the city. He's, he hasn't even been around. He hasn't really been Daredevil for a while. So he, Daredevil, sorry, Matt Murdock dresses up as Bullseye and fights Bullseye who's dressed up as Daredevil. And it's messed up, but it's it's playing on the fact that like Bullseye is insane. And Bullseye starts losing his grip on reality because he's like, he's fighting what he thinks is like kind of himself. He's like, but wait, Bullseye has to win, but I'm not Bullseye, I'm Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just such a weird fight. Like it, that's, it's that's classic Anasenti. It really is classic. She Anacenti. loves to do stuff like that. Um, Subvert your expectations and play with the artwork. Form. Isn't the greatest. Uh, it's by Kieran Dwyer. Um, it, it, it's not the strongest part of this issue. There, Lee Weeks would have been a much better choice for this. Uh, Lee Weeks is the best choice, but it's just a really messed up battle. And Except Epting. I'd, I'd say Epting is grittier, and then Lee Weeks is almost as gritty. Like I'll just quickly read from the last page. Uh, you have both. Uh, not Bullseye. Matt Murdock has Bullseye saying, you're right, Bullseye. Trust me to do the right thing. And he laughs. And he's like, you don't know who you are. I don't know who I am. We turned out to be the same man, didn't we? And he takes off uh, the Daredevil mask. And he's just clutching at his hands, but he's in the Bullseye costume. And it's just like this weird, you know, he doesn't, at this point, like, he has no idea who he is anymore. And what is, what is he? And in a few months, he'll be taking down the Kingpin. But this is the, the start of the road back to Matt Murdock being Daredevil. And I just always really enjoyed it. It was just such a messed up storyline, but very, very innocent Well, she's also kind of, seems like she's commenting on the um, vacuousness of superheroes, that it's all about the colors that you put on as who you become. And a little bit, yeah. not really, really written as characters, they're just mm. kind of plots and tropes. True. And... So what is your number four, sir? 
Ready for more Bendis. I'm always ready for more Bendis. Decalogue. Okay, Decalogue. This is a great story with little vignettes kind of into the into the character of Matt Murdock through a support group of people who feel their lives have been ruined by Matt or by Daredevil's influence. In some cases, not always the case. Is Golden Age not on your list? No. Wow. Uh, I thought you loved it. I do really enjoy it. No, I enjoy all of Bendis' run, but I just pick the ones I like the most. Okay. This, I don't know, it's just, this brought in some of that cool ninja mythology back again. You know, I love sticking the ninjas. You do love sticking the ninjas. Yeah. And this kind of brings up the idea that Matt is, you know, involved in a world that is kind of beyond the can of most mortals. Mm. There's this kind of demonic creature associated with the black magics of the hand that's kind of been like lurking around and influencing everything, or at least in these people's lives. And, Almost like possesses people and uh, I did kind like, of jacked up. I did like the idea that it was a church support group. Like yeah. you know, there's a man running around dressed as a devil. Yeah, and he said he's like the kingpin of our area. Yeah, what what do we mean? Like this? What do you is, make of this? I like the idea. Like it's interesting. Like realistically, people would probably be on like chat rooms and stuff and talking. Hmm. But I like the idea that there is a group of parishioners who are meeting to talk about this. And what does this mean for them? What does this mean for the, like their faith, their belief? And that this man is running around. Like, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Mm-hmm. And everyone bringing different beliefs to the table. Um, I actually, I, I didn't put it on my list because I feel like there's a few chapters that really work for me, but then on the whole, it doesn't quite work for me. Oh, I love it on the whole. Um, yeah, I like the whole. I do like that. Like, the, the, there's the girl who's involved with the guys who want to be involved with Bullet. Yeah, I love Bullet from Innocenti's run. Um, the one I like the most is about the, the guy whose dad was the one who blew up uh, Matt Murdock's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so lots of history steeped in this. There's a lot of history, and there's a lot of building again, like, further building upon the foundation that other writers had, had laid. Before. And Malieve is playing around with his like his pencils a little bit here, and the colors are you know some stark yellows at some sometimes. Mm. Like they're really kind of moving away from more of the detail to just more of like the heavy darks and the heavy colors. Um, it, it was, a, it was a time of experimentation. It was a great time to do it. But they blow up Josie's. <laughs> yeah. And I like Josie's. that in the modern era, it was no longer just a bar. It was a bar and grill. Hmm. Because back in the day, it was a sleazy bar. Yeah. Nowadays, you got to make everything a bar and grill. No, that's the way... That's, and, and so, I mean, the, nice, the business little, model. nice little twist of the supernatural at the end was really neat. But more so, it was just Matt's... I don't want to spoil it. So Matt's role in this story really had me excited and I just loved how he's portrayed I and how like people respond to we him. See the, we finally got to see the marriage. Mm. Like them getting married. I also like... Kind of an odd place to do it. Yeah, the issue before 75 had a great ending. Like, I was like, what? What? Like that was just such a messed up... I try not to spoil it either. Yeah. But it was a nice reveal because yeah. you don't expect it because you're like, okay, I get what's going on here. I get what Venice is doing with the storyline and then flips it on his head. Yeah. Like, wait, wait, what? That That's happening? And yeah. it makes you want to go back and look at it. And and see like was that were the visual cues always there yeah. and we just didn't notice? I don't think they're there. I think, think that was very careful. Well, okay. I mean, if you're looking that carefully, maybe you could see it, but no one's going to see it. No. Um, and I, I just like that it's a piece, of relative quiet, amidst what has been before very chaotic storylines about yeah. different mobsters and and Matt trying to hold Hell's Kitchen um, away from them. And did you like the covers? Love the covers. I love I love the start covers are very distinct. Yep, I like love that you cover. you would know what you're buying. Like you you see it on the shelf and it's standing out from everything else. Yeah, uh, and he ties. It's called Decalogue because originally they were going to do it based on like the Ten Commandments. They didn't have the room. They didn't. Uh, I guess they decided to make it smaller. So they only had covers for a few of the commandments. So mm-hmm. Adam has opened Thou shalt not lie. Um, it's it's not heavily tied into the commandments, but it, it, he's giving some lip service to it. It is kind of in the basement of a church. It does have this almost religious, thing, you know, discussing a man in a devil suit and something supernatural or dark is happening. 
um, just creative and enjoyable. I, I don't I don't want to say any more because it gives it away. So no, it does. Um, I did like the the cover to seventy five is probably the most out of all of them. You like that, eh? I like white Daredevil covers. I also I like, like white every cover. Anything I, that's all white or all black. I think it's Daredevil nice. fifty seven, but the one with like the Japanese lettering on it and uh, is part of King of Hell, King of Hell's Kitchen. No, I want you just take everything I'm going to say. Later. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so my next one is number four. Now I'm, I'm going to save my number four because I know it's your top one. Do you, you looked? Did you peek? I did peek. I'm usually very big on the on the surprise, but I peeked. And I'm gonna, okay. I'll, I'll wait to talk about it. Uh, what's your number four? You already know. What is it? Did you peek? I didn't. I, I, I peeked, but I didn't commit it to memory. Daredevil 181. Okay. So this was my, remember, this was my number two. Hmm. I, Should we wait? No. No, let's talk about it now. I, I want to leave your number one. I just, okay. Well, you talk about it first. It's your number four. And then I'll jump in, and I'll correct you and tell you you're wrong. Oh, well, I guess I won't begin then. <laughs> um, wow. No. What do you do? Um, okay, so do? Miller's run is very important. It's very good. Um, again, he, he has a tendency to kind of go overboard sometimes. Uh, 181 just seemed to hit so many notes all so quickly with such power uh, that it really left a mark clearly on the creators of comics now and in some cases um, uh, filmmakers. Mm-hmm. As a scene in Daredevil. Because well, it's one this, of the most infamous Daredevil yeah. scenes ever. Like, yeah. Even now, like Bennett had a great run. Are there any real iconic moments that you're like, this needs to be in a movie? Yeah, the rooftop scene with Daredevil and Electra. Okay, besides that, and that's very contingent upon already having Electra be around and or having already established that kind of story. But I mean, there aren't. There's just so much iconic imagery that's in this issue. Well, and, yeah, in particular the the death panel where uh, Bullseye kills Electra was voted when Marvel did like top images of all time or something it was voted like number three or something yeah so clearly very well remembered very iconic and it's for a reason because it's really creepy and very disturbing and a little sexual yeah um, when he's murdering this woman and uh it's all told from bullseye's perspective so it's kind of got that emotional it's removed removed emotionally from Mm. the content or the context it is also separated from like the the issues before i was reading earlier um that uh, jansen was starting to do more and more of like there, Miller was starting to do less of the pencils at this point. He was starting to back away, and so he was doing a little bit more of the breakdowns, but less and less of the full finished pencil work. But this issue, he was doing all the pencils because mm. this was an important one to him. It's interesting because it's just a weird number. Like it's one eighty one. Yeah, couldn't you do another one eighty? Well, if you're a fan of Incredible Hulk, then I mean that. Yeah, that, I mean, that means that's something. another famous thing. But I mean, it's just such an odd like, and it's a double sized issue. Like, and I believe the book, I can't remember. No, never mind. When uh, Frank Miller started writing the book, it was bi-monthly. Uh, wait, mm. no. Yeah, every two months. And then it became monthly after like three or four issues. So it went from being a book that came out six times a year to being 12 times a year. And then you have this issue, and it's just... I mean, you're right. It doesn't exist without everything that came up before it. It's brilliantly builds yeah. on the last like year so worth you, of story. It's another one of those things you really can't talk about in a vacuum, but people often point to it and say, look, this is has significant meaning... Of all the other issues, the ones before and after, this really impacted me. It does give you enough to go on if you read it on its own. Yeah, like it, it's it's a, it, it's a fully realized story. It's double size, so it but helps. but it, yeah, that's a big part of it. But it also is like if you've been reading all the other stuff. I mean, it, if you've been reading all of Frank Miller's written work on Daredevil, I mean, it just it, it's so much more than just the issue because yeah, you have this lead up, you have this relationship with Elektra, this this tugging back and forth that 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 Daredevil just can't let go of her. And the idea that, um, you know, and Bullseye 
coming out of a prison and, and t- taking his job back to be... Yeah, if it, those of you who don't know, that's exactly what happens. Uh, the, the Kingpin's hired a, a new assassin. Um, like it's Bold- not really about Daredevil at all. No, it's not. That's it's, why it's told from Bullseye's perspective, yeah. right? Um, and so Bullseye wants to find this new assassin and wipe out his competition, get his job back. So it's about him stalking down Elektra, killing her in cold blood, um, which again is, is almost done panel for panel in the movie. Um, and then what's different about this than the movie is that Elektra crawls to Matt's doorstep and then dies in his arms. Yeah. And then you, again, it's not told from Matt's perspective, so you don't really get a moment of emotion or his reaction to it. It's immediately back to Bullseye. And then it's about Daredevil tracking Bullseye down, uh, having a fight with him um, over this horrible murder, and then letting him fall on his back and um, basically paralyzing him. Mm. Well, plus, you also it's the first time that anyone really figured out that Daredevil is Bullseye. Well, actually, that's not true. Daredevil actually, is Bullseye? Sorry, Daredevil is Babardock. I know. It's actually not the first time, because a lot of villains actually already knew that. But <laughs> um, but it is an important moment, because at first, like Bullseye doesn't even believe it. But it, what's, what it matters more is that Bullseye knows. That's yeah. the scary thing, you know? If Stiltman finds out who you are, you'll hear him coming. But... Although, uh, Daredevil kind of figures it out and is able to then convince Bullseye that he's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, their last battle is so deliciously brutal well that's the, the trademark of miller right it's every every hit is so vicious yeah oh it's very true and I, what i liked about it as well is that i mean earlier in uh, frank miller's writing uh you had uh, the issue where uh, bullseye was was sick he was he, was, he had like basically a tumor i believe and he saw everyone as being daredevil and he was going crazy and daredevil had the option to let him die and he didn't he saved his life and then they, I, I believe one of the uh, detectives or yeah. that he was working with was like, it's on you. Yeah. The next death, every, like, the next death is your fault. Yeah, and so Matt really feels that at this moment. And, and the That's first... why he lets him drop. He's like, I saved you once. You killed my girlfriend. You're, and what's, what's he say to him before he drops him? Yeah, he's, you'll kill no one ever again. Yeah, yeah and, because that's his and, fault. And that's the idea, too. Like, did he did he think he was going to die, or did he think he was just crippling him? Like, mm-hmm. we don't even know what his intent was. Which well, is kind I of think like, from that height, I think that the intent was to kill him. Well, we don't know quite how... Well, because I don't think he fell to the to the. You can't drop You can't drop somebody and then go, I hope you'll land in a way that will paralyze you. No, I you. know, but like we don't know how far they were from like the next rooftop. Well, really. it's far enough that you can be paralyzed. Yeah. Well, and if he fell was, on his neck, he'd be dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. Like if you open fire on someone with your gun, you can't aim to hit the gun out of their hand. True. That's in a movie, right? I mean, and yeah, that's true. And there's just so much here because you have the death of Electra, the, the crippling of Bullseye. You have Bullseye at the very end, like saying, "Like I'm gonna get. No matter how long it takes, I'm gonna get out of here, yeah. and I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take you down." To which just wait. Matt responds in you know, afterwards with that issue roulette, where he's sitting next to the bed and going, you know. With a, with, a, with a rifle, uh, rifle with a, a revolver, yeah. um, playing Russian roulette with him until you realize that there's no bullets in the gun. But Bullseye doesn't realize that. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. I'll, yeah. But uh, this was a fantastic issue. Yeah. Absolutely adore it. I was surprised I didn't put it higher myself. But it ended up being number two. Really well done. Yeah. That was your, what, number four? Uh, number three. That was my number three. All right. Um, my next one was, uh, was Born Again. Which you already kind of talked about. Um, hmm. What number did you put Born Again? I made it an honorable mention. Honorable mention. Um, Again, not because of the plot, just because I feel like the older storytelling is just too heavy laden in narrative boxes. Hmm. Particularly Miller's. Yeah, no, there is a lot of that. Um, I feel like Miller's earlier stuff is a lot cleaner. It's a little cleaner. It's a little bit more stripped down, the earlier yeah. stuff. Um, but Mazzuccelli's art makes up for that. Mazzuccelli's art. It's almost like if you just look at the panels, you can enjoy the story without the words. He's so good. He is that good. Um, I, I, this is this is the climax of everything with with the kingpin had ever 
really been going towards. I mean, you thought that you kind of finished that with Miller, uh, but then now that he's come back, he's like, I had one more Kingpin story I needed to tell, yeah. and it's so much better mm-hmm. than ever before. And like the fact that uh, they keep wanting to make this into a movie, you can't really make it the first movie, so it has to kind of be a second, uh, which is always what hurts Daredevil, because everyone wants to make this a movie. I don't know. Like, why couldn't you? Uh, for I, the I, people who saw the first movie, yeah. they don't need anything else. They know Kingpin is. For people who don't know Kingpin is, how hard is it to believe? It's not, but it has to feel earned. Yeah, I guess you're right. It has to feel like this is the culmination there, of something. It is important that there's a history between the two of them. And it'd be so hard to do in a movie because, I mean, Karen wouldn't really work. Because you have to have her coming back mean something. And you know what? Batman just kind of did this anyway with Dark Knight Rises. He, it's about him being broken down by his greatest enemies and like not, not knowing if he can make it back up again and then being redeemed. Yeah, but this is stronger than that. It is, but I think that if they were to do, if they were to consider it and go like, if Batman has recently done a story in, in, at least in thematically similar, yeah. should we do it? But at the same time, like, in a lot of ways, this wouldn't make a good movie because he doesn't really win. Like, there is no victory. There's also, for... yeah, there's also a lot of scenes of like Matt just like getting the his kicked out of him. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Daredevil doesn't win at all. Yeah. Like, he, he but never, it ends on an optimistic note. It ends on an optimistic note, but that's not what we want for like a movie. No, it's not. It only works for you, serial you, storytelling. You need a third act where evil is conquered. You need and you last rights. Last rights didn't happen for five this years. This leaves enough ambiguity, which is a trademark of Miller. He doesn't like to tie up all his loose ends. He likes things yeah. to be in the gray. But I mean, there's so many like iconic lines and moments, like the whole, yeah. I've shown him that a man without hope is a man without fear. Like, yeah. How many times has that been quoted or referenced? Like, a million. <laughs> uh, really, it has. And plus you have the introduction or uh, of um, his mother. When, yeah, Maggie. It's a huge moment. That's a great scene where she's uh, holding him, like she's sitting, kneeling yeah, over him. Yeah, and she's just cradling him like a baby. Yeah. And and him with a cross like yeah. uh, around her neck. Again, like, that cross scene, yeah. I mean, it's and it's just such a strong... Uh, you're right, uh, I'm flipping through this, and the visuals are brilliant. Uh, there's also... It's a great arc for um, Ben Yurik as well. Um, him kind of... Because he's involved, because he, he knows that something's up. That something must have been... Is fixing what's going on. I mean, there's a reason why... Uh, Matt Murdock's life is falling apart and he knows that Matt's a good man he, he knows that he would never bribe anyone and he knows he's been set up and you know and it's such a great Ben Yurick story I mean uh, Frank Miller loves Ben Yurick I think a lot of people love Ben Yurick uh, but Bendis loves him but he also loves to give him that weird look where he's like hmm that, what? what? Hmm. He's got this long face that Malieve always gets. That's Malieve, yeah. I was going to say, Bennis didn't do yeah, it. I'm, I'm sure Bennis said, this is the face he should make. Hmm. He's, he, and he sent like a, a picture of him uh, in his email and said, like, Alex. Yeah. Uh, Would you want a, a picture of Bennis staring at you in your email? Although sometimes I wonder if he, if Malieve didn't take pictures of Bendis and use that as inspiration for Kingpin. A little bit. Because you see some Kingpin's of them, not always big enough. Because when he got skinny, when he lost a lot of weight, it kind of looked like, like yeah. Bendis. Um, this is, and plus one of the reasons why I love this as well is it's a very intimate Matt Murdock story I mean it's it, his life has been crushed and you know right like you kind of you earn by the end you earn that sense of optimism it doesn't feel hokey it doesn't feel put on it feels like maybe now he can truly be born again like he's mm-hmm. everything that he was him as a lawyer has been stripped away. Every, like his house is his his memories. Everything like everything he's he's all he has left except and also Karen. And now he can rebuild from that. But like he's got no law firm. He's got nothing. And the, the fact that he can let go of everything and become something new. And it takes years before he's able to kind of reclaim part of who he used to be. Which I mean I think part of it speaks to the fact that they didn't want to overturn anything Miller had done. Um, like no one wants to like two issues later be like okay now he's a lawyer again no not with not with the impact he left no it was so monumental 
Um, and Mazda Kelly's artwork is brilliant. And even the covers, I mean, like they all have like the the words on them, like and the, which are the same as the uh, the issue titles. And uh, I love Matt Murdock with the beard. He looks good in the beard. He looks good with the beard. And like there's a there's a classic panels like him clutching Karen after they finally like kind of come back together. Uh, as I said before, like the last panel as well. Uh, just a brilliant story. I wanted to mention two addendums to that issue, though. Um, one of them I actually didn't bring down, so it's not as important. It's uh, what if Daredevil had saved Nuke, and also what if Daredevil had killed the Kingpin. And they both kind of use Born Again as this jumping-off point, and they're really good stories. Um, and they're fun. They're, I mean, the uh, the what if Daredevil killed the Kingpin, it was the second issue of the second volume of what if in the, uh, I guess, in 89. Um, and even says, from the monumental Born Again storyline. Hmm. Um, and it's written by Danny Fingeroth with artwork by Greg Capullo, who's having a renaissance of late on uh, Batman. Um, really well done, really interesting story. You know, what What if he'd done something differently? What if, at the end, I mean, Daredevil basically kind of goes crazy because he never really gets that moment where he gets to kind of put his life back together. Instead, he kind of goes crazy because he shoots Kingpin and kills him. And it destroys him. And at the end, uh, Richard Fisk ended up becoming the new the new Daredevil. <laughs> and it, it's really interesting and it's a fun read and I really dig it so that was what I guess my number three was Born Again okay. and I'm so glad I have it in, in the hardcover yeah that hardcover is nice uh, and I don't know people who follow collections threads or whatever but uh, they recently announced that the, the Daredevil Omnibus the first volume which is all his original Daredevil stuff not including um, Born Again or any of the Electra stuff that came after it uh, is going to be reprinted shortly probably in September or October um, so, I mean, it sold out fast the first time. I, I can't recommend it enough. It's spectacular work. Um, and hopefully they'll reprint the second volume at some point as well. What's your, uh, your number three? Oh, your, that was Daredevil 181. Yeah. Number two. Number two? Kingpin of Hell's Kitchen. Kingpin of Hell's Kitchen. Okay. Why? Um, I'd say after Out uh, gave us the status quo, and then Matt kind of goes and claims the territory as his own. It really just brought about so many great moments that I enjoy. And uh, chief among them was uh, how Phil Urich is used to kind of frame the narrative and, just, and fill in the gaps for the, for the audience. And when you um, find out that he's married? You find out he's married. Um, the way it's told. There's this great set of panels near the beginning of, the, of how it starts, the arc starts, where um, you don't know who Phil is talking to necessarily at the beginning. And you just see someone's head kind of framing the shot. Mm. And it's just Maliv being the master that he is, doing talking heads for panel after panel. And each panel and each expression from Yurk is different. Yeah. It's like he's conveying and relating it is a story. Movie. It is a movie. And, and Bennis's dialogue is so good. Um, this is kind of what had me reconsider what I think dialogue should be. Often dialogue in a comic or movie or book is given very uh, linearly, very binary. One person's talking, the other per- is, person isn't. They finish their thought, they don't stumble, they don't stutter. Yeah. Almost never is that ever written in the dialogue. Bendis, when he writes, people are talking over each other. He repeats, his characters repeat themselves. Um, they well, start to say something, and then they stop. It's both a good and bad thing. I think, I mean, I, I like that it's more naturalistic storytelling, it's more realistic, and it's, it's regular speech patterns. But at the same time, now that we have, like especially these days, when you have less page counts in comics, I don't want, I don't always want that kind of, writing because I feel like sometimes they they uh, they take too long to get to the point whereas and then the issue's over but that's what we do I mean, people listen to this podcast for an hour or two and we take forever to get to the point no I know but, but they're also not but paying the, for it but the, <laughs> but the thing is um, like if what, you're but if you're paying like three or four dollars an issue and now you only have 20 pages to tell your story but there's a huge difference too 
when it comes out of our mouths, it's just natural. We don't know what we're doing. We stumble. We forget a word. It's different when like there's the art of writing dialogue. Like he has to first of all imbue someone else's personality or their mind, try to think of what they would say, yeah. try to think of how they would say it naturally, and then convey that. Um, I don't know. It's just it, it was done so well here. It made me. It made me. I don't know. Um, now, see, there's another example of someone who can't think of the right word. Uh, it made me think of regular dialogue, or dialogue how, how it's typically portrayed or written, uh, as, as um, subpar. I just couldn't stand how dialogue was written. I, I just thought for a while, like, I've got to mimic this. I've got to try to, like, be like yeah. Bendis. And I started writing dialogue, practicing it, trying to have people interject and cut each other off. And What do you think of the dialogue? Uh, this is a little bit off topic, but similar. Uh, Spider-Man Blue, when you had uh, Peter struggling to find the words... When he had the, the tape recorder run, I love those 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 pe- those are, those are pieces of truth. I like those that. are pieces of humanity. I like the worrying. And like let me clarify: have... when I say like my dialogue, I was like playing around with writing dialogue for people and like doing scripts, and I was just practicing. That's what yeah. I was doing. I wasn't like going into the public eye no. or into public and just walking up to people and saying like, "Can you start a sentence?" And I'm going to try to cut. Yeah, start. <laughs> um, so th- there's that. Okay, so there's that that I really really enjoyed. I thought that the the voice that he gives his characters was very uh, individualistic and very well thought out. And very real. Then they have that great scene that I mentioned earlier uh, about Central Park where he gets a, a confrontation. It's almost like, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, when you're on drugs and your friends come to... Intervention. Intervention. It's like an intervention. Superhero, superhero intervention. intervention. Yeah. You can't do this. And each of them step up and say, you can't do it. You've stepped over the line. I didn't and he goes, yeah, I can. At times I didn't think that uh, the art was that great in this panels. And I think it, it, it wasn't... It was like he does... Uh, Malib does a, a, phen- a phenomenal... Matt Murdock during that 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 um, that sequence. I didn't think his uh, Luke Cage was a lot strong. His Peter didn't quite work, and then his his uh, Doctor Strange and Reed Richards kind of felt interchangeable. But the work of Matt there was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I just think he wasn't comfortable enough with those other characters Maybe. to really make them um, identifiable. I can see that they kind of felt interchangeable, and that was. But his work on, on, on Matt was phenomenal. And then they get to the great scene of the yakuza who want to move in on the territory. Oh, it's gorgeous, and all you hear is the tap, 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 and then a, a yakuza standing with a, like a katana. Staring and you him flip down. that page. And you flip the page, and there's an army. There's an army ready for him. And then you have the issue you mentioned, 57, cover number fifty-seven, gorgeous cover. It's basically a Japanese flag, right? Well, yeah. There's a Japanese flag in the background. The Japanese sun, and then there's. Um, I don't even know what the lettering is saying. Do you know what it says? Um, it, it's in hiragana, um, most of it anyway. I know I recognize some of the characters, but I can't read it yet. One of these days. One of these days. Okay. Actually, stark, sorry, stark. That actually reminded white. me of something. Stark white. In that um, uh, the, the Return of the King prologue that I mentioned earlier, I was reading it today, and I like that there's a part where uh, he's there with like the, the woman he's kind of spending time with. Not even as that sexual. It's just more like this this warm feeling he gets from this woman, and he's he's like, I, I spend time with her children, and I'm teaching them to learn English and Japanese. That's cool. And it was just kind of a new, a nice then, little, like... This is a great moment where he gets stabbed from behind, and then there's all the imperial Japanese starburst. That was an interesting choice by Lark, but it's very... Well, because the red is coming to life. Oraja. Oraja, sorry, yeah. But it's black and white, but then you yeah. have this splash of red. There's something just about that. such clever... He's such a clever guy. I mean, oh, I like black and white in a splash of anything afterwards. Like, even in um, Frank Miller's uh, That Yellow Bastard, the Sin City story, everything's in black and white except for That Yellow Bastard. And it stands out so perfectly because mm. he's yellow. 
I was just like, look at some of this dialogue. It's just the way he, it's not spectacular what he's saying. It's just to me how he says it. So you got Phil. So Urich. we're back back on Ben Ben Urich during... Sorry, Ben Urich. I think it was his nephew. Ben Urich. He's like, I would imagine all these crazy things, like all the bad guys used to smack around, all of them, like the Purple Man or the Jester or that Mister Fear, all those guys. Just he's listing off some things that you know he's kind of thinking on the spot off the top of his head. He's just listing. He's saying kind of almost a little bit of repetition as he's putting bookends on his list. Yeah. The kind of things that we all do. Um, and it's full of these great sequences where, where Ben is trying to retell what happened that night. Mm. And so they have the fight. And then that's also brilliant. But one of the scenes I love the most that really just makes me smile whenever I read it is once they get arrested. And there's this great scene where they're in front of the FBI and, uh, <laughs> and they're, they're interrogating him or what have you. And he, some of these lines here are, are amazing. So he goes, uh, you know, what happened that night? And he's like, well, you know, my friends and I were walking home for a lovely dinner when this guy attacked us out of nowhere. <laughs> um, and he's like, Matt Murdock attacked you. Is that his name? And, he, and, and then Maliv draws a smirk on his face. You yeah, know? It's and, he, and then he goes, are you kidding me with this? And he smirks him again. He attacked you. 107 armed members of West Coast Yakuza, led by Sano Ori of the Philadelphia Crime Cartel, all carrying swords and guns. And the, and the officer behind says, and bats. And half of you hopped up on MGH, and he attacked you. And then the response, I don't know anything about any of that. All I know is I was walking home, and I was attacked. Am I under arrest for something? And then he responds, how does conspiracy to commit murder sound to you? And then he leans in, the Yakuza guy leans in, and he goes, oh, See, it's my understanding from the agents that brought me in here that you were watching this Murdoch, that you had him under, under surveillance. So you no doubt saw that for yourself that he that this man attacked me first. And then he stares down the FBI officer, and the FBI officer says, well, good thing you had your samurai sword. And then the Yakuza guy leans back, yes. <laughs> that you were carrying around under your coat. And he, the Yakuza it was a gift from a friend. I was taking it home, right? Perfectly dancing around the law, right? Yeah. FBI. And the guns and the bats? Yakuza. I don't know anything about that. FBI, uh-huh. Yakuza. You'll have to ask the people who are carrying them. And the MGH? I don't know what that is. Mutant growth hormone, you low-level sewer rats you're using, using and selling. The synthetic genetic crap you're shoving into your body so you can play superhero. <laughs> and the Yakuza's response, oh, well, I, me, I don't use any kind of drugs. But some of your friends were. None of those gentlemen were my friends. Some were friends of friends. No, no one I know uses drugs. They are bad for you. So I'm going to end it there. That was a bit too much kind of comic book theater, no, no. maybe. I like that. But it's, it's, art, it's such brilliant dialogue. And Bendis has studied law and criminals. And he knows the kind of things you can say and can't say. Mm. He knows the kind of things you, you can get away with. How you can frame your responses to questions. How officers and how attorneys try to lead people to reveal things they probably shouldn't in during interviews. Um, you know, just the, hiding behind associates. I was there mm. with some friends. Did you witness me attacking him? Because if you didn't excuse me, witness me attacking anybody, then you have nothing to accuse me of and yeah. I've broken no laws. Yeah. Just, it, it's his deft um, uh, handling of the law and the legal procedures. The dialogue was masterful. Maliev's uh, conveying of these characters, believable way to convey them, frame of sequences, it transformed the way I saw comics, how I saw um, superhero comics and, 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 crime, and crime comics in a way that I know Brubaker's hailed for doing, I just don't think he's done anything as well as what was done in Kingpin's Hut. You, need, you need to read Gotham Central so badly. 
Like it's, I've read some of it, but I had not read enough. You've only read one issue. That's not enough. But what it is, really, is that I don't like Gotham. I like New York, yeah. and I like Daredevil. So that's the thing that kind of is the stickling point, that I don't really care about what happens in Gotham or to Batman and his family. It's not about Batman's family. I know. It's about Gotham. It's, well, it's about the but police I officers. But because... I, when, I, when I read Gotham Central, it is law and I'm order. sure it's good. It's law, well, it's not But I'd be more inclined to read Criminal. Okay. But that's a little bit more... Well, that's still good, too. Anyway. Anyways... What is your number one, sir? Which is also my number five. What is your number two? Or four. Two? Um, Battling Jack Murdoch by Zeb Wells and Carmine D. Gen Domenico. There you go. I'm actually surprised it was your number one. Yeah. I thought Bennett's stuff would rise higher. Uh, maybe it has something to do with you said that it's easier to pinpoint things that are done quickly mm. than it is to catch, capture something done over a huge period of time. Uh, I love this miniseries. I remember when it was coming out, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I need to buy every Daredevil miniseries, but I'll give it a shot. I mean, I didn't, I'm, up until this point, I probably didn't know Zeb Wells all that well as a, as a writer. Hmm. Uh, I definitely didn't know De- Domenico at all, and um, that definitely changed when I read this. I mean, I think this was around the same time I read this in Silver Surfer Requiem and, like, Submariner from the Depths, and those were three really strong Marvel Knights, like, items. They're all kind of Maybe not in continuity, but mostly in continuity. Uh, not as much for the other two, but definitely for this one. They all came out around the same time, and they were all brilliant uh, for very different reasons. Um, this one feels it's definitely like this is canon. Uh, it hasn't really been refuted, and I don't know why anyone would bother. Um, no, there's no reason to. I mean, there's nothing really that functionally changes for changes for Daredevil, but if you're a fan of Daredevil, the character, it changes everything. And, and this, this not is, really until the very end. This is, I know, yeah, this is part of the universe, the world building of Matt and his world. And so, if anyone's going to argue this isn't a Daredevil story, well, first of all, it's in the title. And second of all, Matt's in the book. It just happens to be more around the origin of his, his family and his father. Mm-hmm. Um, I love I love seeing a younger Hell's Kitchen, though. Hmm. Uh, like, because if you... if you, younger Josie. Yeah, well, and I, I was trying to think, like, is it better to read Frank Miller's stuff first, where you get a foundation of these characters, and then read this where it goes backwards, or to read this first, and then read Frank Miller's version, which is a dirtier, unclean version of these characters? Like, which one actually makes more sense? Hmm. Which one feels more right? Which one is less sad? Because, I mean, Josie is this beautiful young woman, and then we only know her as this very different person. Mm-hmm. And I like that we're seeing that like this is what um, this is what Hell's Kitchen does to people. It destroys people. It's a meat grinder. It, yeah, it's a meat grinder. It brings you down to this dirty, dank level, and you could start off being this beautiful, wonderful waitress, and with believing that the world's going to be this bigger place, and it could be anything but that. And it's just so tragic. But I think part of what makes it more poignant is if you've already read the Frank Miller stuff. If you have the sense of what the world's going to look like, and then you get to see what it used to look like, it means more. Does that make sense? I don't know if it matters. It I, think it, I think what you're saying makes sense. I don't know if it... Yeah, you're right. It but probably doesn't matter, but you could it, read it this. meant a lot to me as a, as a reader. Okay. And it, it, it's what made it me care more about the world. You could read this without having read any Daredevil comics. You could read this after Miller. You could read this before Miller. It's hard to say how exactly where you know in, in which context or in between in which chronological you know order of reading will have the most impact. All I can say, and, and all we probably should say, is taking on its own merit, taking mm-hmm. it kind of without anything else. It has a wonderful beginning and a middle and an end. It has wonderful characters, believable characters, heartfelt. You care. You crack a little when they crack. Mm-hmm. You cry when they cry. 
Um, it's a great Jack story. DGM, it is a great Jack story, but it's also a story about Hell's Kitchen. It's also a story about uh, um, Josie. It's also a story about Matt. You know, I mean, they all have parts in it. And without taking one of those characters out, I couldn't rem- imagine this, uh, this is the same story. Mm. So that's how you know that they're important, if you can't take them out. Oh, yeah. They all add something important. And, and Carmine's pencils are, are you, you know, so... He's a brilliant illustrator. Um, and, like, the fact that each cover is from, like... As the uh, well, each issue is a round of yeah. this of this fight. Yeah. Like it's all set in this last fight. It's all about Jack's fight. It's about his life. His life has been a fight. His life has been a fight, and yeah. it culminates in this final one. But you you get to see him more as an actual genuine father who cares yeah. for his son, and he not really, just the guy who hits him. Yeah, and he really does win. Like he is a winner at the end. Yeah, he, he wins. goes out on a high note, and at least at least it's it's a personal win. It's not necessarily what everyone thought it was, and that's the thing. That he's able to do that, Zeb is able to do with this. He's able to take something that up until now was only a moment of tragedy and loss and turn it into a win. Well, it was a bit of triumph, not for we, Matt. For the way Matt, Matt saw it. Well, Matt was he saw the triumph of his dad winning, and then he immediately lost his father. So yes. yeah, right. It's it's a it's a moment of of triumph immediately couched in tragedy. But it, but it, it's not complete tragedy. It's more. It's and he still been, has that memory. It's always been to Matt a triumph of yeah, sure, my father gave me this gift, but. He never knew what his father's dying wishes were or his thoughts. True, but even like Daredevil so, Yellow, like there's the, there's the sequence of his dad winning. Like that's always been such a huge moment of triumph. I know, but I, I'm just saying what this does is it takes and adds more narrative, more layers, more depth to that yeah. victory. Like because Daredevil's not Batman, because he can still look at the greatness now, of moments. Up until now, who cares that Jack? Besides Matt, no one cares that Jack won. Jack's dead. Why would Jack care? Like, okay, Jack did this for his son. Yeah. But up until this moment, there's been nothing about that victory that was good for Jack. After reading this book, even if he dies, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of the, the last page is all about that. Like, yeah. he, he doesn't, he, like, he's, he's accepted it in a like, way that. The, the win at the end of this isn't that he won that fight. The no, win it's not. is that he won his son. Mm-hmm. And that is, the, that is the victory that Jack had, rather than the victory that he gave his son. Was, all you've seen till now is how it made Matt feel a little bit happy before oh, he right. felt like his heart was torn out. Yeah. Uh, so, so the I, ending, as much as it is tragedy, it feels very hopeful because it's okay. He did right. Yeah. Like, he, he, he struggled. As you said, like, his whole life was a fight, and at the end of the day, yeah. he did right by his and son. And he's a hero, and it, and it gives Matt, I mean, even though Matt doesn't know it, at least he used the reader know that there is hope for Matt, because yeah. up until now, as Miller had portrayed it, um, you got his father, who was a bum, who was a drunk, who in one final moment before he was killed for his ignorance and for his stupidity, managed to, to win a fight for his son, but other than that, he's still a mook and a bum, and all well, we know is he was, was drunk. relatively well-meaning. But but and ultimately, for Miller's portrayal, yeah, Miller's he was, portrayal is a little dark. He's not a bad guy, but he's a screw up. Yes. And then you've got this absentee mom who left the family, and it's like everything yeah. was a mistake. And even in this story, when he when she says that it was a mistake, what we did was a mistake. And he's like, Matt was a mistake. Like even Matt. Um, and and then you know Josie, I don't even touch that. But I mean, so you have an absentee mom who leaves and kind of goes into 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 worship of of, of the Lord and, and her nunnery. Leaves him alone and only kind of comes in in moments mm. as a guardian angel and a dad who was you know well meaning but but was a loser he ultimately. Knew, but he knew that. Oh, fine, but well, for the that, reader, that does but, say something but for the, the readership, character. that's all we knew about Matt. So what is what is the hope of Matt? He's a womanizer. He's kind of trying to stand out of his dad's shadow, but he keeps being brought in as this boxer who's still using his hands ultimately to solve problems. Yeah. So what is what do we have to know about Matt? Are we, are we going to know that one day Matt is going to end up winning his last fight before he's killed, 
and that any mother of his children, any love of his life is going to either die or become absent. That's all we know for based on the sins of the parents. Yeah. But this book turns it around and goes, you know what? Maybe in the end, Matt will die as we all die, but he won't necessarily have died a loser mm. who just happened to win one last fight. He'll have actually lived as a hero who died fighting. Yeah. That's, you're right. That's an important distinction. It's it's, it's, it is a brilliant book. I'm actually quite sad it never came out in hardcover or oversized or anything. Because, like, I... <laughs> I'd buy it again. I would buy it again. Yeah. I own it and trade in singles, and I buy it in hardcover. Like it's 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 so good. It should be required reading for Daredevil fans, but it's yeah. so under the radar. It is because it's and so it, un, It's it's because Matt's barely in it. Like, and if anyone is out there and they don't necessarily want to touch Daredevil, read this. If you still don't want to listen to what we say and you don't know who Carmine DGN Domenico well, first, is, I, I I give it up for getting this far on the podcast. Yeah, so for well, no, but I mean, some people love us so much. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, even if they're just listening out of interest, um, look up Magneto Testament. Look at any of the other projects that he's done. I have used Magneto Testament in a classroom setting. I actually photocopied the pages of this, of this graphic novel to teach kids who really were kind of against reading. They don't like to read. Um, kind of really aggressively so. And they loved it. And they couldn't wait to take turns reading the panels and discussing it and discussing the imagery. Carmine is so good at conveying story and character that... Um, you know, oftentimes in a, in a pedagogical teaching set, setting, teachers come in and go, we don't know how to reach these kids, you know, so let's give them some sort of graphic novel. What do you recommend? And inevitably the answer is mouse. Yeah. That's the answer because it's artistic and it's about World War II. Um, but the metaphor and the, and the very cluttered panels, um, he's not the greatest storyteller. He's not very um, no. easy to get into. He's not very accessible. Uh, Carmine is the opposite so he's a fantastic storyteller and he's easy to, you can I recognize what's going on in the panels and it's not as steeped in metaphor as Mouse no, so I not. found that just using his pencils alone they, you know, they may not understand all the context and complexities of World War II but they love the story um, and that's you know, something to be said for uh, Greg Pak as well his great script but everything Carmine has touched I have just wept a little bit yeah maybe because of the fact that I realize I will never be as good excuse me as good of a penciler as he is no, well, that's that's okay. And it's something so beautiful that exists on this earth. It makes you believe that it must be a god. <laughs> like it that much? Really good art makes me think that, yeah. Yeah? Beautiful anything. Beautiful sunsets. Yeah. Beautiful women. Yeah. Beautiful art. What is art except a you know, manifestation of the divine nature of human beings? It's interesting that... So your, your number one choice is the, a hopeful story. And my number one is... So not that mm. at all. It's the opposite. You mentioned it earlier. It's um, Daredevil 191. On the cover, How Does a Man Search for His Own Soul? Mm. It's the roulette issue. He picked roulette. Yeah. Every time I read it, I just I can't put it down. Mm. Like I, I was flipping, It's very compelling. I was re- I, it's a page turner. It's a page turner. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, so spectacularly done. As Nate already said, I mean, it's, it's Daredevil next I'm to Bullseye. Sorry. I'm sorry for kind of... I didn't realize... What? Why I would have never said this it? if I knew it was your... Why are you apologizing, Because well, I don't want to step on your toes. Oh, well, I, I didn't say anything because I, I wanted to leave you it as a surprise. You should have given me like, the, the cut it out. No, thing, the it no. Out. You, have, you, you, you brought it up organically, mm-hmm. so there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I've always loved the roulette issue. It's extremely strong. It's surprisingly intimate. I mean, a lot of what Daredevil stories were were very action romps. and uh, I mean, there was obviously an emotional core that... Frank Miller had going on through it, but this issue just strips it all away, and this is just two men, well, one that can't really, isn't really conscious, and we don't even know what he's thinking, and I always kind of wish that we didn't know, 
Like I think in Thunderbolts, doesn't Bullseye say something about when Daredevil was prattling on him one time about a about a kid or, or something? There was a mention, I think, in yeah, I think they do reference, and this. that kind of cheapens it for me a little because mm. I I always like the idea that we we don't know if Daredevil, sorry, if Bullseye is really awake or if he's really cognizant of what's happening or if he's just if really he's just don't a, we see his eyes? We see his eyes. Yeah. He's a, he's so he's awake, but like how much. Like, how much trauma has he had? Is he really comprehending what's happening? Mm. And we also don't know necessarily how much Daredevil is actually speaking. Because it's all done as narration. Would you like to have had this the final scene in the movie? When Dar- when Bullseye's in the hospital? Uh, no. <laughs> or did you like that scene where he caught a fly or something, apparently? With, he, threw he, a, he threw a syringe. Syringe at a fly, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting issue. It's basically the idea of um, what is the impact of Daredevil and Bullseye in their fights on young impressionable youths and mm-hmm. the idea of I mean it's very soapboxy it's very like this is the influence of violence in people's lives uh, and, and if people think violence is okay uh, basically Daredevil ends up beating up this this the, you know this this basically this little kid he's kind of who idolizes Daredevil um, this kid creeps out and he sees his dad basically involved in like a, a drug deal or uh, an underworld deal and there's a gun there and then Daredevil comes in and, and he, he he kind of he kind of beats up the dad a little and takes the gun away. And this kid is so traumatized with this because he's like he idolizes Daredevil. He pretends to be Daredevil. He acts out as Daredevil. And he's like, and so he keeps watching this video of Daredevil and Bulls like fighting. He's like, kind of like what we see later on and wake up. Yeah, and he's like, Papa's bad, bad, or Daredevil wouldn't have hurt him. And if Papa's bad, so am I, so am I. And it's really disturbing and upsetting. And the idea that you know that even though that battle happened and it was long ago, it's that's a constant battle that he's seeing, and so eventually uh, this kid like, shoots someone, and it's just like his life has been so messed up by violence, and Daredevil can't even blame just uh, just Bullseye. He's like, you you and I are both to blame in this. Uh, we gave this template that he got drawn to, and uh, and then you also have Daredevil explaining a bit of his origin and his dad, and his dad was a bit of a screw up as well. And you also get that, uh, the flashback to, like, he comes home and he's like, you know, I, I fought back and his dad, you know, put, well, I guess it's more of a slap, but that's a well, kind of a backhanded. Is closed or open? I think it's a closed fist, actually. No, it's open. Is it open? So it's a backhanded slap? Yeah. But, like, he slaps his son and, uh, and then. Yeah, see, seeing it in a vignette like this, it's, it makes Jack look like a. Like more a of a real, screw up. Like, like, a, like a bad guy. A little bit more of a Whereas, bad guy. Whereas, at least in the context of Man Without Fear, it. It portrays him in more of a heroic light. It has it has a mo- little bit more heart, and that and that strike you can. It, and as soon as he strikes him in man without fear, it pans over to the alcohol bottles. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, maybe it was not all Jack's. True, fault. but in here, there's no not alcohol. Not that you bottles. should ever blame a, like uh, abusing spouse or children on alcohol. That's no. not acceptable. But I mean, like you have him, like he's got a lot of stubble. Like you can yeah. see that he's kind of down on his a little luck. wild eye there. But in this story, like you don't. Usually when you tell the origin, you go from that and then you show him explaining why he wants him. And, and you still have a little bit of that here saying, like, I want a better future for you. But they cut away from it so quickly because yeah. then it gets to the meat of the issue, which is basically him saying, like, it's, it just comes down to the two of them. And it doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter how much he hates Bullseye. And he's got this gun at him and he's been clicking it through, like, Russian roulette the entire issue. And he's got it up to him and he had this great artwork by Miller as you get closer and closer in on Bullseye's eye and when it comes to the final fatal act of ending you and he just pulls the trigger and it's just click my gun has no bullets mm-hmm. I guess we're stuck with each other and it's just always been such a strong story 
and it it, and it had to end that way. If there was a single oh, yeah. bullet in that gun, Daredevil would be a villain. Yeah, you're right. And it's the idea that uh, again, you it works so well because you don't know exactly what Bullseye's thinking. Is Bullseye in his right right mind right now? Is he scared for his life? Well, this is kind of the book end to 181, where you don't know what Matt's thinking. Yeah, no, you're right. You can kind of guess from the fact that he's cradling Electra, but taking away his narrative voice in that issue kind of alienates the reader. And in this way, um, it, mm. it's alienating Bullseye. Yeah, no, from, right. Or the reader from Bullseye. And it's just, it's chilling. And especially, I'm a big fan for, for uh, Empty Black Spaces. I mean, they did that yep. in... I've talked about it before on the Fantastic Four issue where they told Reed Richards that he lost that his his second child basically was was uh, miscarried. Um, so I mean, you had the, it's all black and it, just in the middle you have the framing of I guess the window, like the light from the window, I guess, or a door, yeah, something, or a door, or something's framing, and it's just it's just Daredevil and Bullseye sitting next to each other, and it's just haunting, but it's extremely well done, really gripping, and uh, I don't know, and I, I like that cover too. How does a man search for his own soul? A lot of white space using the issue as well, mm-hmm. which didn't happen as much in a lot of Miller stuff. But it's quite—I think it's actually whenever he's with Bullseye, it's there's him and Bullseye are in color, and everything else is white. So there's a juxtaposition of like I guess the darkness, which is I guess them, or color and light, and whereas everything else in the issue has full backgrounds for the most part. But it's only the two of them. Maybe uh, it may be. Bl- bl- uh, um, it was obviously white intentional, light, or it could just be. Um, Starkness? Yeah, it could be emptiness, right? It yeah. could just be like there is the place doesn't matter. They're in, they're in no place. They're they're kind of in a, in a state of mind. Like yeah, okay, that's cool. And yeah, so it, I went back and forth a lot on what was my number one. Was it one ninety one, one eighty one, or Born Again? Yeah. And they're really all kind of inter, almost interchangeable for me. But ultimately, I read Roulette again, and I'm like, that is my issue. Um, more than 181. 181 has a lot more going on. It's so packed. Like, it really is double-sized. Um, so ultimately, we're kind of saying if you really want some some good Daredevil stuff, you go Miller, you go Bendis, you go Brubaker, yep. and then Zeb Wells. Yeah. And maybe Jeff Lowe. That being said, oh, the current Mark Wade run is spectacular. In terms of runs, because like, Adam did bring up a lot of, like, arcs or single issues that are good to hit, too, but, I mean... You know, I, I think Daredevil has been blessed with some really great creative history. Uh, it's also had some really horrible stuff, but I mean, but the majority like, of the best stuff, like if you're just going to discount I mean, Miller from '80s, like 2000 people, up. Yeah, oh, it also de- also depends on which version of Daredevil you're getting because there's something to be said for the San Francisco version of the character, where he's living with Black Widow and he's sharing the title with her, and he's out in San Francisco, and that's in the early hundred. Yeah, teens. but I feel that's more of appreciated by someone who appreciates Marvel continuity. If you want to see this, where they're situated, um, the history between those two characters is often yeah. referenced. I don't think it's as important reading it's as some of these. superhero stuff. Whereas, yeah. I mean, a lot of what we know of Daredevil in the modern era, yes, it's Frank Miller and on. Because everything else is window dressing before that. Like, it, it is the character, but it's not giving you what the character became. And you can really see, like, Miller does it in the 80s, and then those kids read that, and they grow up, and they become creators. And then, post-2000, it's all these people paying homage to him. Yeah. Plus, a lot of the ideas like him being a Catholic, I think, don't think was introduced until Miller. It's a good thing that we're bringing up uh, this on our St. Patrick's Day episode, because yeah. the, uh, the Irish-Catholic connection in Matt Murdock. Yeah, plus he did date Gloriana O'Brien. Well, there you are. Gotta love her. I think she died. It really bothers me that I can't well, remember if she died Well, after the podcast, I'm sure you can wiki it. Oh, it'll be the first thing I do after okay. the podcast. 
Um, anyways, thanks for joining us for this has been episode 62 of Comic Shenanigans. Um, now we do have an Android app now available for uh, Comic Shenanigans. You can go to comicshenanigans.podbean.com forward slash mobile, um, and that will. And if you do that on your Android uh, phone, um, then you'll be able to uh, add it, uh, add the application, and put it on your phone. So that's new. I'm still working on getting it. Uh, actually, sorry, that's not Android at all. I'm so Is sorry. That, uh, that, iOS? That, that, that's for uh, iPods and uh, like iPhones. Uh, we're still working on Android app and getting that ready. Um, you can also obviously email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. We got a couple this past week, so thank you very much to those who sent those emails. They're really much appreciated. Uh, also, uh, you know, I've, we've been getting a, lo- a little bit more action on some of our threads on uh, HC Realms, so thank you to those who've uh, made comments as well. We always appreciate any kind of feedback and support. Uh, so we can try to make the show better. Uh, anything you guys want to see, always let us know. You can also like like us on Facebook as well. Anything you wanted to uh, add in closing, Nate? No. Nope? Okay. Well, thanks again for joining us. Uh, I'm Adam Chapman. and uh, This is Nathan Strzok. Nathan Strzok. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye.